What's good? You're listening to Wasted Radio. My name is Matt, and I hope you dig the special intro because this is a special episode. I have Mike Mulholland of Recon. I'm super stoked to have Mike on the show. I got to send a big thank you to John Torn. Uh, John, thank you so much for hooking me up with Mike. Mike is uh, the founding member of Recon. He is in the Acacia strain now, which we're going to be talking about in just a minute. He uh, plays with Bury Your Dead. He played with Thy Art is Murder. He was in Immure. I mean, the dude's track record, especially for, you know, heavy music, balls to the wall, low tune, beat down. Um, this is the guy you want to talk to. And and uh, we had a great conversation. This was intended to be like a 45 minute, you know, uh, podcast to promote the tour and everything. Um, but you know, we just got to it and just went forever. And it, it's such a good show. I, I just, you got to listen to it. You're going to love it. Um, but before we get into the show, we have to talk about the Acacia Strain because that's why we're here. Acacia Strain is getting ready to gear up. Um, if you're listening to this on the day that it comes out, then it is June 22nd. If you're listening to it the day after, it's June 23rd. And that means that tomorrow uh, the tour begins. That is June 24th, 2022. The Acacia Strain is going on tour with Malevolence, I Am, and 156 Silence. They're starting in Hamden, Connecticut at the Space Ballroom. They're going through New Jersey, um, Maryland, PA, Ohio, all the way down, well, through the Midwest, and then they're going to make the loop back up to New Hampshire. They're finishing on the 17th. So you definitely want to look this up. Go out, see the Acacia Strain. I'm going to play some Acacia Strain music here, too. The uh, the tour is called Tune Low, Die Slow 2022. And like I said, Acacia Strain, Malevolence, I Am 156, Silence, not a tour you want to miss. Before we get into the episode, I'm going to play uh, Acacia Strain's song here that is from uh, their 2020 album that they put out, which is kind of weird to talk about because, you know, it, it kind of feels new to me. Um, and I don't know if they've played this album uh, a great deal on the road yet because, you know, that whole COVID thing happened and opportunities were taken. Um, there wasn't much of an ability to get out there and push this. So that's what they're going to be doing. Uh, so right now, um, without further ado, here it is, the Acacia Strain, Feed a Pigeon, Breed a Rat. Then I'm going to come back and talk with Mike Mulholland.
All right, there it is. Feed a pigeon, breed a rat from the Acacia strain. Now we're going to hop into Mike Mulholland mode. Uh, Mike is, like I said, the founding member of Recon, and he is currently uh, gearing up to tour with the Acacia strain. So you definitely want to make sure that you make it out, see him play with the Acacia strain. I think that they're going to have a pretty busy and eventful summer coming up. I don't want to spoil anything, um, but let's just say pay attention to the Acacia strain. And... uh, Before we get into that, I'm going to just play a little bit of Silencer uh, by Recon. Check this out, uh, and then my interview with Mike Mulholland. You're on Wasted Radio with me, Matt. I'm here with Mike Mulholland of, well, I guess you're of the Acacia Strain now, right? I mean, yeah, at the moment, yes. I've been in many bands, but uh, at the current time, I am uh, learning their set and about to go on tour with them all summer. That is super exciting, man. And um, Well, I mean, not to not to hop exactly into it, you know, not, not to hop right into it, but, uh, you know, Acacia Strain, uh, you guys are getting ready to tour, uh, I believe it's June 29th, no, June 24th. I'm going to see you on June 29th in Pittsburgh. Um, So you're going out the 24th. Um, Are these uh, longtime friends of yours? You've been around this crew for a while? Yeah, I mean, with those, I mean, these guys, we go way back, uh, I guess, to when Recon was opening up for them. So I would have been probably like the, well, actually, that's not true. The first time I saw the Acacia Strain was, uh, I think it's Saratoga Winners, a venue here in uh, the Albany area, which uh, since burned down, RIP, but many awesome memories there. Uh, but one of them was seeing Casey Strain play when they had like three guitar players. And uh, mm. actually my good friend who I later played uh, in a mirror with and then still play in Barry Dead with, Mark Castillo, was playing drums for them at that time. And I mean, I just remember them being obnoxiously heavy, like just yeah. like ru- rudely heavy and slow. And of course, like me and everybody else in Recon were like immediately obsessed and, you know, probably ripping off ideas from them even and just like fucking absolutely worshiping that band. So um, we quickly became friends upon meeting them and geeking out over, you know, the fact that we're both slow, uh, chuggy mosh bands. And mm-hmm. uh, they were gracious enough to let us open for them a few times. And so uh, we did develop good friendships back then. Um, Vincent and I, I mean, uh, fuck, we've been friends for 15 years. And uh, mostly it's been kind of like, you know, seeing each other here and there on tour. Our band's occasionally touring together, but... Uh, Mostly just like hanging out, having a coffee, going to get food, barbecuing, because we live in the same area and we have for like almost a decade now. Um, so uh, after he moved to this area from uh, Western Mass, uh, Vince and I were able to see each other much more. And uh, same thing with Kevin. He's always been around here. Him and I have always been tight. Him and I had our first rehearsal today, and then we got some ramen. And, um, you know, yeah, so far uh, I've hung out with those two the most. Mm. Um, I've mostly been communicating with uh griffin via text and stuff like that but he seems like he's gonna be my fucking boy i really uh i'm digging just uh just his vibe in general and mm-hmm. he is like speaking of guys who are like really on top of audio stuff like he is fully dialed in and uh, oh, really he had a studio in des moines and everything and so he actually gave me amazing like uh homework materials for learning a case of train song so instead of having to do uh what i usually have to do which is like just 
listen to the album with a critical ear and like fucking pull out every single part that I can and then ask questions when they arise. Um, he kind of gave me a full session and due to the fact that technology is so wild these days and we have like not only Kempers and you know the in-ear systems all wired up but all that stuff is like going into logic the whole time on stage anyway so there's uh, a bunch of like live sets recorded that they have so I can pretty much like uh, I have a whole session set up now for rehearsal that is just their live set and I have everything individually tracked so if there's like like, isolated guitar tracks that you can study Totally, yeah. So I just like basically have a magnifying glass. So there's a certain riff where I'm like, oh, what's going on right there? I'll just pull it out, isolate it, listen closely, and figure it out. And if that doesn't work, I'll call Devin. <laughs> and, <laughs> That's uh, some fascinating Devin and I, shit. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. And uh, yeah, and Devin, uh, I love Devin. We, I think we've only done one actual tour together, and that was like we did some kind of like Amir, uh, Casey Strain, Co Bill thing in like 2014. Um, shortly, well, I guess it was maybe like a year before I quit that band, but, um, we always had a great time. And I mean, he's such a fucking just brutal guitar player, dude. Like all his Mm -hmm. riffs are just like, absolutely just like punishing anything big and doomy and atmospheric that he does with the Casey strain is just like completely epic to me. And so I'm stoked to, uh, you know, hopefully not only have a good time, like playing music live with Devin, but like collaborating, uh, you know, ideally, uh, in the studio. So I'm hoping to get a couple riffs in on the record, but of course, no guarantees. They might hate everything that I present to them, but I'll definitely (laughs) toss my hat in the ring (laughs) riff wise, you know? Oh, I mean, why wouldn't you, you know, especially if you have the opportunity and you're, you're working with, I mean, such a legendary band now. Um, Acacia strain is well, and, and, you know, not, not to just sit here and toot your horn, but a lot of the bands that you work with or have been in, in the past are all legendary in their own right. And part of, um, kind of an early 2000s movement of downtuned hardcore that I would argue is transitory into what became deathcore. Um, you know, a lot of the early Bury Your Dead stuff, a lot of the early Acacia Strain, the 3750 and the Dead Walk, um, the first two Amir albums. Well, the first, I mean, I, I like Amir, so I mean, I'm, you know, all, all of the Amir albums were great <laughs> for me. I, 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 I just like that. Um, it's weird because it's kind of like, I, I think of a mirror kind of like Muzak, like it's something that you can toss on in the background with like while you're vacuuming or like cleaning the house or whatever. And then like, you can just Good, bob yeah. in and out of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we tried to like in that band, you know, we tried to like, even though we're like fucking just playing pit riffs on the first fret, we try to like make everything groove oriented and you know, yeah. something you can bob your head to and like not think about too much in the same way. Like you said, Muzak, like. There's not a lot of like off time like Meshuggah sounding stuff in mm-hmm. fucking Amir songs, you know. It's like right, right. It's pretty, pretty meat and potatoes, and uh, yeah. I mean, I had a good run with that band. Uh, it was fun writing with Jesse. Uh, he's a he's a just a just a riff machine, and mm-hmm. <laughs> the stuff he writes is just so fun and cool, and most of it's just like bouncy and punishingly heavy. So well, that and that and and I and I also think too that um, sometimes in heavy metal and hardcore, people forget to have fun. Um, and there's a lot of that in a band like Amur. There's, I mean, all the bands we're talking about. Ultimately, I mean, Recon was, what what was Recon about if not fun and creating <laughs> just the moshiest, scariest live music that you could make, right? Uh, oh, dude, yeah. Actually, like the whole kind of ethos and like my my like my big vision of the band when we started was like it was kind of that era of like you know it's 2003 we started that band. We were all in high school. Um, 
And, you know, we were like going to these metalcore shows and seeing bands that are, you know, playing the fucking did it, did it, did it, did it, did it, did it, did it. And we're sitting there going like, this is cool at the gates riff. Awesome. But like, where's the break five and then just all, you know, it's like, and we're like, you know, we're just like young mosh lords fucking sitting there going like, okay, when's the dance part? Like what, you know? And then, so me and, uh, Tony, um, who also played in a case train at one point, we're talking uh, one day and we're like, dude, what if every part is a mosh part? Like, <laughs> what if you can, what if every part of the set, you can just have movement? Like if it's fast, you can circle pit. If it's mid tempo, you could two step. Mm-hmm. If it's like a fucking skull smash part, you can skull smash. Like, uh, and, and uh, that kind of became what recon was. It was just like, let's mm-hmm. just make every part devastating. And, uh, I think we did it pretty well. It was fun. And it's interesting to see nowadays. Like I listen to a few of like the new kind of like young gun fucking heavy bands. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, for a while I was questioning how slow we were going. But these days it's like par for the course for a lot of uh, a lot of heavy bands. And I think it's tight as hell because, you know, playing in case you playing in, in recon stuff like that is like you love the slow. You know, we love that shit. Yeah, yeah. Growing up on sludgy crowbar oh, yeah, wrists sure. and shit like that. So Yeah, well, I absolutely. think too that um and you mentioned crowbar. That's, uh, I, I think it's important to mention crowbar. Um, cause yes, I think is. that that, you know what I mean? Like that it, it's cool though, that, that, you know, you pull from doom, you pull from Southern rock and you pull from hardcore and you put it all in a blender and you kind of, it, it's weird how music evolves over time, isn't it? Like how it comes out on the other side and you started seeing other bands that, um, I know there were early deathcore bands. I know that there were like early adopter deathcore bands and shit like that. But that shit didn't really catch on until the the dun 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 those kind of breakdown <laughs> bands were out and kicking ass and shit like that. And then you started seeing the incorporation of the two, which I always say, like deathcore is kind of like if you took like dying fetus and you mixed it with. Yeah, there you go. He's got a dying fetus shirt on. <laughs> if you took dying fetus and you mixed it with like drop A or drop G sharp beatdowns, you know, and- yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that is yeah, pretty much it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, if you're if you're yeah, for I think when it came to recon, yeah, there was definitely some. I mean, I, I I've been a fetus fan forever. Uh, I well, I guess that's not fair. Not forever, forever, but like. Um, I, I consider them a classic Everyone had uh, Kill Your Mother, Rape Your Dog, whatever record that was. Uh, yeah. That shit, that's got me in high school. And then I think I saw them at the Stop at Nothing tour. And after <laughs> that was the first time I had seen them. And my God, uh, I got to tour them. I filled in for Thy Artist Murder in 2018. And we did a, like a co-headliner with them. And dude, they're like the fucking heaviest power trio on the planet. Like it's just no, no three men can like stand together and play fucking heavier music than that i don't think it's yeah it's disgusting (laughs) (laughs) that's good i mean and they're legends i mean legends it's it's crazy too um i talk about this a lot on the show but it's um about how hardcore the the underground hardcore scene used to um be a lot more mixed up with death metal and then it got away from it and now it's kind of getting back to it oh yeah and which is a good thing and i think it's Mm -hmm. a much needed thing because, uh, you know, blast beats are cool and everything, but so is like everything else about death metal. So if the more we can bring in, the better. Um, I mean, there's some 
pretty nasty bands right now. We're about to go on tour with I Am. That band has like got some okay. crazy death metal shit, and yep. you know, also super crushing breakdowns. And um, I actually haven't seen them yet, and I grew up in Texas, so that makes me sad. So I'm I'm stoked to see a Texas band uh, out and uh, out with us. And also, we're bringing out Malevolence, and I haven't seen them yet, but I checked out the new record the other day, and it's like they so just dropped awesome. a new album, it's just, yeah. Dude, it's awesome. I had no mm -hmm. idea that there was like that kind of riffage happening right now. It's totally sick. Yeah, um, um, it's it's good. Uh, I just talked to my buddy about it the other day on the show here, and he he said it was uh, he said it was the the best sounding big room hardcore that he's heard in a while. Like it's just it it, it just it, it's powerful. I mean, it's it's very big. It's very. You know, I don't know. I it, like I picture it on a big stage where it belongs. Yeah, man. I uh, I've heard really good things, and I look forward to checking them out. I think they're missing like the first three shows, which is fine because I'll probably play like shit. Not <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but uh, <laughs> no, you you're gonna catch me at the fifth show. I'll have my shit together by then. But uh, cool. No, I'm very stoked <laughs> for them. And then uh, I haven't seen One Five Six Silence either, but uh, they're sick as hell. Check them out. I've not either. Yeah. yeah, it's really it's cool as hell. So I'm stoked on the whole lineup. And there's only four bands on the tour, which is like perfect. You know, mm -hmm. maybe. I don't know if there's going to be local openers here and there, but um, that'd be cool if there was. But if not, four band shows are the shit. You know, I'm 35. I don't want to like fucking show up at one and leave at one, you know? <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, going back to death metal stuff, I wanted to say yes. this. Uh, our, uh, back in the day, we were fortunate enough to be, uh, well, Recon, uh, from the same town as Skinless. So Saratoga Springs, home of oh, Skinless. Okay. And to me, skinless is, I mean, like if I were going to make like a three dicked giant tripod of like brutal death metal, it would probably be like skinless, dying fetus and cannibal corpse. Yeah. Um, okay. And uh, I, I know that's like very generic offerings, but I, I don't think so. I, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, there's a reason that they're the top dogs is like they're the best yeah. at it. And, um, you know, of course, there's a lot of, you know, we used to love like bands like Devourment and stuff like that because it was more like. It was like a how weird can you get as a band and how fucking heavy and mm -hmm. uh, so we would like practice uh, in our practice spot we'd play some environment shit back in the day and um, try to do some skinless stuff and uh, that was always fun good way to warm things up and like get your brain primed up for slams you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know um, <laughs> one of my one of my earliest exposures to uh, death metal was you remember Fye's little listening stations oh yeah. And you would scan the CD and put the headphones on. You would get like a 30 second clip. So I used to stand there and listen to Mortician. Damn, that's awesome. <laughs> I was like, I don't know, nine. And I was like, wow, wow this this cover art is awesome. And then like that's click it amazing. in, get your little 30 second clip. That was all I had back then. Yeah. I remember wow. Now, as an adult, are you like a Mortician fan? No. Okay. They're <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, they're, they're a band that they passed me by. But um, I mean, I know people who like Mortician. Yeah, they're dope. Um, I'm not. I don't have anything against them. I'm, I mean, I. Uh, full disclosure, I'm not crazy into death metal itself. Um, same. I'm pretty fair weather. Like I said, that's why my three favorites are like the the, the main three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I I like those bands. Um, I'm really into this band right now, Two Hundred Stab Wounds. Um, if you've heard of them, I haven't. But that's a sick band name. They're <laughs> they're. Uh, they're doing it big. And then this, uh, I just saw this other band the other night, Sangwa Sugabog. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, I've heard some very good things. Um, and, uh, yeah, I can't disclose anything, but I hope to see them this summer somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, that would yeah, be great. Uh, yes. Uh, but that band rules. And um, uh, were they just out with Terror? Um, Terror. That's who I saw. Yeah, yeah. 
Yep. And Terror I missed that and... tour because we had a little bit of COVID rip through our household. So we unfortunately oh, okay. missed the Terror show. <laughs> sucked. Yeah. I was like, oh, God, why of all times? Because uh, yeah, my buddy Paul, who played in Recon. Though. Yeah, Paul was playing in Pain of Truth. And um, I was hoping to see him play with them because uh, Paul played in Recon, one of my closest oh, friends. Um, uh, John told me that he was playing drums. Yeah. So he's been on that tour. And uh, I was hoping to go hang, but like I said, you know, got that old COVID, so. Yeah, yeah, you can't bring Shit that. Shit happens. Um, yep. Terror, though, um, Terror had Kublai Khan with them. Mm. Um, I've never seen that band, and I never okay. never really checked them out or anything. Dude, blew my fucking ass off. I mean, Oh, that- they're, they're one of the best doing it right now. I mean, there's that's the only thing I have to say about Kublai Khan. I mean, they're just... Super sick. I haven't toured them since I had a mirror run, I think in 2014 or 15, but um, yeah. I've seen them a couple times, like over the last few years, pre-pandemic, and I haven't seen them post, but uh, dude, I mean, Matt's vocals, like he's just like, <laughs> oh my, you know, he reminds me of like uh, Bruce from 100 Demons, but like more demon. I don't know. Yeah. Sorry, Bruce, but dude, he's it's just <laughs> like, there's so much anger and, and just pain oh, yeah. in it, and um. Yeah, his, his, I don't know, I just think his scream's fucking devastating. And plus, all the riffs are just, like, built uh, just for energy and just for fucking crazy mm-hmm. good times. And I don't know, man. Uh, I uh, I just really uh, uh, respect that band. Well, I'm and glad they're that... they're from Texas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And I'm, I'm glad that Terror took them out because sometimes I feel because of, like, image and marketing and maybe even production quality and shit, bands like that get looked over in hardcore. And... They put on a fucking awesome show. So, you know, love them or hate them. I mean, I, you know, you, you hear hardcore kids have a tendency to sneer at stuff like that. Sometimes I think the, the, um, maybe it's a little too leaning mainstream for them or whatnot. Um, you know, but I have to say it was never a band that I gave a chance to until recently. And they fucking blew me out of the water. They were awesome. Oh dude. Um, Yeah. Just energy level is just through the roof, dude. And uh, yeah, you want to talk about like mm-hmm. just riffs that are built built for the pit. I mean, they're just like all over that band. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, just yeah, fucking. I only have uh, only have nice things to say about that band, and they're all sure. very sweet, sweet gentlemen. Yeah. Um, and uh, I believe homeboy Isaac has filled in for Casey's Train in the past, uh, drummer. Um, which I didn't okay. catch any of those shows. It was like they had uh, they had some time that Kevin was taking some time off, and he filled in and. Um, I heard he did great, so that's very sick too. It's funny how like incestuous some of these bands get, and how many people are. In. You know, it it is what it is. Um, I understand it because you know, like as a musician, you know, I I write and record with my one friend, and we use a lot of digital drums. And the bottom line is, there's just not members. There, I mean, people work, people have lives, and it's difficult to to make this happen. Um, you know, if you can make it happen, by all means, make it happen. But it's it can be tough and I can understand why bands share members. I can understand. Also, I mean, it's probably, you know, considerably hard to make a career out of playing underground music in that circuit. So oh, yeah. The more opportunities that come down your way, why, you know, why not? Certainly. Yeah. And, but what, one of the beauties though, about like, um, the fact that we have all this technology and let's say, even if it's just two people getting together and writing something or even one person, sometimes mm-hmm. it's like, if you're writing something sick and it doesn't matter if it's programmed or what, like if through the speakers, it sounds fucking awesome. Like it's awesome. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, what's cool is you could just fucking train three or four other people too. Like if you want to do a show here and there, go play some fest or go on tour. It's like, 
you can still write all the material yourself and it makes it actually you know maybe a bit easier in a way um i I do sometimes miss the old way of writing which i feel like i haven't done in a band in a long time which is like actually sit in a room i haven't done that since recon like uh with emir um it was always just like everybody working remotely at their laptops sending ideas splicing them you know and then basically putting a whole record together before we go to the studio having never actually performed the songs together as a unit um Mm -hmm. but you know fucking it works <laughs> a lot more even records do that a lot more people do that than i had ever imagined once i started talking to more musicians about recording processes and things like that um you know i i thought because i've been making music by myself for years and i always thought that i you know i was like envious of the people who had the opportunities to be you know in a band environment and stuff like that i've got a house i've got a kid and we've got a life it's difficult to make all that oh, yeah. happen um and you'd be surprised and, how many how many dudes in bands like want that, you know? And then mm-hmm. even the, some, there's often a crossroads that many have to, to face where it's like, do I want to like stay playing in a heavy band or do I want to go and like start a family and be a person and get a real job? And, um, you know, it, it happens to dudes in giant bands all the time. Like I know a lot of people who, you know, are facing that crossroads like every six months. Cause they're like, fuck, it's just so hard. Yeah. Um, you know, especially with the pandemic stuff and now the economy like looking pretty rough. I think everybody's like a little bit on edge just, you know, wondering like oh yeah yeah well (laughs) that in and of itself you know i i commend um you guys just for taking the opportunity to go out on the road right now um because it is tough out there and i think that now more than ever uh it's probably the best time to go out and show your support for bands because you know and and i'm really happy to see that there's such good turnouts at shows nowadays. Um, despite all the economic troubles, it shows that people prioritize things that they care about. Absolutely. Um, you know, but like anybody listening to this right now, if you want to have an impact and you want to directly support musicians, now's your chance. Acacia strains going on tour, <laughs> come out and see them because I mean, that is, <clears throat> that's about as, that's about as direct to consumer as you get. And, you know, that that directly supports their pursuit of, you know, doing this, not only uh, to be able to do it as a job, but to to keep the flame alive, which is, you know, more important. You know, where would we all be if we didn't have these experiences? So, you know, we have to show up to make it happen. Certainly, man. It is a fact that if there's a band that you like and you want them to stay producing music and going on tour and coming to your town like you got to come out and support. I mean, that's the only way. Um, but I will say this. Like, it seems like, um, like I just came back and I played a few shows um, in December with Barrier Dead out in California. And, uh, dude, the energy was unreal, man. Like, it's almost as if the pandemic, the years off, we all had to take kind of pull the slingshot back and then, like, mm-hmm. let go. And now I think that all of us have been so fucking just, uh, just totally plugged into our phones and every moment is online like direct experience matters too like i went to i went to go see thy art on saturday in worcester um with uh, after the burial and uh dude like i had goosebumps when i walked in i heard you know thy art just like crushing it in there and like i get in there and everybody's freaking out i see the pit and i'm just like like i just felt it you know and uh and i i just feel fortunate to still get that feeling because it's like one of the few things that really makes you feel alive you know and Mm -hmm. and i feel it on stage uh, when I'm performing and having fun and I feel it 
when uh, when I see or, or, or when I see a band I love, like when I go see a band that I truly love, um, I just I, I can't think of a better feeling. There's a couple great feelings in this world, but that's like a high that it, you just can't you can't beat. What are your favorite bands to go see? Ooh, what genre? Hardcore bands? Man, um, okay. <laughs> give me give me five hardcore bands, and then you can dive into other ones. Oh man, uh, hardcore bands. Let me think. Um, Terror, uh, Hate Breed. Um, let me think about this. Uh, Hate Breed's a big one for me. I've seen dude, Hate Breed too many times. <laughs> yeah, um, I think I'm just gonna say Terror and then Hate Breed four times. Yeah, um, that'd be my favorite hardcore bands. Um, <laughs> no. mm. um, but dude, honestly, these days I've been pretty much like not plugged into actual hardcore music. To be honest, like I've been mm. in my own little world, like just like gardening and being a nerd yeah. and recording things and learning music and uh and since there's been no shows uh until just recently i'm like i realize like how off the pulse i am because a lot of bands like popped off during the pandemic and like mm -hmm. you know online wrote some killer albums and i'm like just excited to be back out on tour this summer so yeah. i can see who's out there killing it because um yeah i don't know but i don't know why i'm drawing such a blank right now i've just been well, it's tough um, to keep up with like, i mean you know dude, and, yeah yeah there's um, as speaking as somebody who tries to track all the new bands coming out so I could just show them a little love. Um, Absolutely. Fucking tough, man. I mean, there's a lot of shit coming out. And that's that's another thing that, you know, I usually try to plug when I'm talking about this is if you're in a band and you're doing, you know, making your music right now, try and be a little bit different than the pack because there is a lot of fish swimming in the sea right now. And if you want to get heard and you want to, you know, stand out from the pack, all it takes is a little bit of effort and a little bit of creativity. Um, cause I'll tell you what, I see new stuff every single day and a lot of it, not, not, no hate against the bands at all. Hardcore is hardcore, but a lot of it gets, you know, mixed into the wash. Um, sure. and I realize, you know, like un, un, unevolved bands, bands that are newer and stuff like that, maybe haven't, you know, gotten to the point where they d figured out exactly what their thing is. Um, but you know, I, I think it's important more now than ever to have that thing and to stick out because like I said, you know, you, you there's a, yeah, million we've all heard them. Yeah. There. We've heard a million bands that like, just sound like Madball and a million bands that sound just like Hatebreed and a million bands that sound mm -hmm. like kill switch engage. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, dude, uh, um, it is very hard to keep up, but you know, honestly, like I like, I mean, nothing really that fresh, but like when it comes to bands that are killing it, like I think knock loose rules. I know there are, maybe yeah. it's a contentious subject. I don't know, but that band live, very hard to fuck with. Yeah. Vane, awesome band. Vane, yeah. love the fact that they're like taking that like nineties industrial grimy computer shit, which also mm -hmm. bands like full of hell are doing. And it's fucking sick. Yeah. I'm really into that. I think, uh, I think these are all hardworking like, bands too. Yeah. I mean, those, yeah. I, I mean, I pretty much, I'm like, uh, in my own little like 35 year old world of like a dude who's played in some bands. So I pretty much, I miss what happens in like the actual pulse of what's fresh, but you know, the stuff that's rising to the top is gnarly dude. And uh, yeah, yeah, I look forward to uh, seeing where, you know, knock loose and Kubla Khan and these in vain and bands like that, like go from here. Like, cause I think the only direction is up um, as long yeah. as they keep it fresh and just keep doing cool shit. Yeah. I like the, uh, like you said, the nineties and the, um, the I didn't like it at first all the sound effects and shit that bands are throwing in now that experimenting experimenting with different noises and stuff um but I'm really into it now and the one the one that probably sold me on it was Code Orange I tend to mm. fanboy for this band but that band rules um, 
Yeah. Um, and then uh, Full of Hell, you know, uh, Dylan's really good at that too. Um, he oh, got yeah. really good at it as well. I mean, he, you know, he's always been a great um, musician. Uh, he's a true musician, but um, he's gotten just, I don't know. I Sometimes I feel like Dylan's creativity has no bounds. Um, you know, Full of Hell turned into a, a, a really great band. Um, Vane also, or I guess it's Vane.fm now. Okay. Um, um, I'm going to call him Vane. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to call him Vane too. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, they, uh, that was another band that I kind of slept on at first and then they, they really put out some impressive stuff. I mean, it's that, oh man, I heard that, that three song, whatever it was, that demo that they did maybe, mm -hmm. I don't know, four or five years ago or something. Um, I actually have no perception of time anymore. I have no clue. Um, yeah. but we were supposed to put together a weekend with like recon on, on broken wings and vain and ended up falling apart. But that's when I discovered the band and I was like, mm -hmm. fuck this rules um but um yeah another band i love on broken wings shout out to um one of the heaviest fucking john blake yeah um yeah those dudes rule did many tours with them i actually saw john blake the other night and uh i'm just a huge on broken wings fan they were another band kind of like a case stream for me back in the day where i was like this is fucked up what's going on in massachusetts wild that makes sense that makes sense that you're a big on broken wings fan yeah yeah and they were and speaking of sample bands you know back then I think they were the only one I could think of. That's kind of what brought him back to me, where I was like, they had that dude Johnny Cupcakes in the band, and he was playing, you know, just crazy little samplers and little synthesizers and shit. And it did add, like, this kind of cool, grimier element. And, uh, I mean, they were literally the only mosh band I heard at first that was just, like, hitting you with a hard stop with some weird synth sample and then a crushing breakdown. Like, yeah. that was in 2002 or three when they are doing that on Some of Us May Never See the World. So, um Fucking a great band. Yeah. Yeah. Unbroken Wings is classic. Um, okay, so that kind of puts me into the next question I was actually gonna ask you was um what early adopters of downtuned uh hardcore or metalcore or whatever you want to call it, um, what bands were you into in that era? Or like in the Unbroken Wings era, I guess. Well, you know, honestly, um I moved from West Texas, uh to upstate new york in 2002 i think and i was i think 16 and um <clears throat> back in texas i was like i existed on an island dude i like had i was like the only dude who liked punk rock and hardcore in my town i discovered everything on the internet and so uh for me the first shit i heard that was heavy and downtown wasn't even really hardcore it was like meshuga and fear factory mm -hmm. um and i i guess I mean, I discovered Fear Factory via Pantera. I wouldn't consider them a downtuned band, even though they're theoretically downtuned a little bit. Yeah. But I mean, like uh, Meshuga and when I, when I heard Meshuga and I heard Fear Factory and like just the way that the the kicks lined up with the guitars and just did the super percussive syncopated thing, uh, <coughs> I think that ripped my mind wide open. You know. And yeah. then uh, I remember, uh, you know, bands like Slipknot came out. They were downtuned, but they weren't like. Like you don't really notice that Slipknot's down tuned, if you ask me. Like they, they don't feel it's a down tune. I mean, there's just so much going on. I, I like Slipknot I agree. a lot, um, but like they don't. It's in B yeah, and stuff. You pay more attention doesn't... to the percussive elements. Certainly, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, then I was remember one time I was at my buddy John's house and uh, we were like jumping on the trampoline because that's what you do when you're you know 14 or whatever. Sure. And he's he's like, dude, have you heard this band, Hate Breed? And I was like, no, <laughs> no, dude. And it was like that scene in fucking, uh, you know, um, 
I think I told this story before, but like that time, you know, in like uh, Back to the Future, where it's like, you know, that sound you've been looking for. Well, listen to this. It was like, yes. dude, like, like something lit up in my soul, dude. Like I heard fucking the sample from Braveheart. It's like it's not the blood you spill that gets you what you want. The blood you share, your family, and then you know, dun 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 dun, dun and you're just like, holy yeah. fuck. So after that, I was like, I, I'm a hardcore kid. I like hardcore. I'm still gonna listen to No Effects and Fat Wreck bands, but. Um, I like hardcore now. And so uh, Hatebreed was kind of my gateway drug. And, um, you know, then around the same time, I discovered bands like Poison the Well and shit. And I thought it was kind of cool, but like I wasn't crazy. Like at the time, you know, I was like young. Now I like bands with singing, you know, no problem. But um, like an old band. Yeah. But like back then when I was a kid, I was like, dude, just give me the heavy. And I love the breakdowns and stuff. So I I did get into Poison the Well. Um, and then from there it was like, I actually had the opportunity to move to upstate New York. And then like right off the bat, I was going to see bands like Irate. Um, they were oh, playing yeah. here all the time and they were just like, just crazy Queens. Like, oh yeah. Honestly, <laughs> you want to talk about <laughs> unique bands? Oh dude, I loved Irate. <laughs> and the, my first show out here, I think it was Irate, uh, Skinless. Um, I want to say it was this band called 357 Justice. It was from Troy. And mm-hmm. oddly enough, a band called Morning Wood, but it was spelled like morning, <laughs> like a dead person, and wood, like would you do that, uh, which is a Ooh. really bad band name. But um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry if if anybody out there from uh, Morning Wood is listening. Uh, you guys were heavy, but your band name is not good. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but, <laughs> dude, but yeah, just one of my first shows being like irate and skinless, and also like experiencing the absolute savages that exist in in upstate new york uh yeah moshing in 2002 it was like uh, i remember the fear it was like it was in the air dude i was like scared the whole time i was there and i, I kind of missed that feeling like you know it's like yeah sometimes i'm chasing that dragon like i want to go to a show and feel scared but um i maybe i'm getting more than i uh <laughs> maybe it's one of those be careful what you wish for things though because now the world's getting so fucked up but i agree um, <laughs> yeah yeah exactly but back then it was like you know that I don't know. I kind of liked seeing a band like Skinless and being like, oh, my God, like uh, there's guys in the mosh pit fighting over a dog chew toy. Uh, I think <laughs> I'm going to die. <laughs> um, um, so so you you've spent a lot of time um, as a guitar player, then kind of orchestrating that chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, was it this might be a corny question, but I'll ask it anyway. You know how much? I mean, I know I I I'm a guitar player too, and I've I've been playing for I don't know forever, um, since I was a kid, and I know that you know when we play hardcore, we play breakdowns, metalcore, all that good stuff. You know, a certain element of it, um, is chasing that pit dragon. You know, mm-hmm. um, trying to open that room up and kind of causing as much chaos as a as a chaotician yourself. Um, what are, you know, some of the, some of the real memorable things that, uh, you've, you know, gotten to be a part of, uh, playing some of these shows with these bands? Well, first of all, I want to commend you on chaos edition. That's a good, that sounds like a <laughs> sick, like record that I'd listen to. Um, but, um, uh, dude, we'll I don't collab. know, man. I, <laughs> yeah, I, um, that'd be great. I, I, um, oh, dude. I got fortunate enough to like do some of those crazy European festivals where you're like, you know, with full force, like 30,000 people. I think one of the craziest shows I ever got to play was like, it was, it was actually, uh, it was one of those situations that was bad, but we came out on the good side of it, which was that, uh, when Randy from Lamb of God got, uh, wrapped up in legal troubles in, uh, Czech Republic back 10 years ago. Yeah. I remember. Um, 
uh, Amir was slated to play like we we're like in a headline a tent stage, which is still big. It's like ten or fifteen thousand people. Uh, but uh, because they had to drop off the uh, headliner stage, it just worked out that you know we ended up getting the Lamb of God spot. So we got like the top tier, like crazy fucking headliner daytime spot. And uh, yeah, I mean it was like a sea of heads. Um, and uh, one weird thing I remember about that day uh, is there was like five different giant mosh pits and all the Power Rangers were there, like all the different colors of Power Rangers, but they were all moshing like in different pits. And that's something I think as a band member, you're probably the only one who's like privy to that information, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, but you're just out there going like, well, cause you're used to seeing the guy in like the banana suit or like the green man suit, you know, but all the Power Rangers moshing like, fucking hundred yards away from each other each one of them it was like it was very interesting commitment dedication <laughs> yeah and i feel like also as dudes playing in mosh bands sadly we've probably seen like uh i mean the only people who've probably seen more concussions are like ufc fucking yeah. you know uh, uh refs because <laughs> some people get fucked just, up <laughs> dude yeah not just like fight stuff because that does happen of course people get knocked the fuck out but i think people get way more fucked up from like botched stage dives you know, yeah. I've seen I've seen those go wrong where it's like you got to stop the set and clear the room and oh really um, yeah it, well they're get, not clear the room but like give them some space oh yeah yeah um but dude uh, I don't know I played a lot of crazy shows I got really lucky and um, I think my 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 first like first show that I felt like uh, uh, nervous to play like in the early days though was like recon opening up for Hatebreed I think it's Stillborn Fest. Where oh, I'm wow. like, you know, again, that like goes back to Hayward. Awesome. You're like, oh, fuck, dude. Like, and Jamie, like, put in the word, like, oh, Recon's cool. Like, can we get, you know, get him on Stillborn Fest and hit up Ted Etal, the promoter around here? Because um, he had seen us around. And, um, dude, we, we opened up. And I think it was, like, Sworn Enemy and Bleeding Through and and uh, Hatebreed and a couple other bands. And uh, I remember just feeling, like, fucking nervous. Mostly because I felt like, you know, oh, man, Jamie's watching. The big dog's watching. <laughs> But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But I just remember that feeling, though, you know. And um, you know, it was a pretty good show. It was like probably a thousand people. You know, nice. Yeah, um, yeah. I've been to a Stillborn Fest. They're great. Well, they were great, dude. They were so fun, dude. I used to mm -hmm. have so much fun at those things. I think I went to like, I was, I think was the one in Poughkeepsie too. I feel like at one point I went to a couple of them. <coughs> um, I went I to. Um, like a, like a, I think it was Lancaster, PA. I feel like they made it like a three day weekend around Christmas and it would always be like a few different shows, but um, it was tight. Um, rest in peace, Stillborn Fest. Hopefully yeah. they bring something like that back, but there's always new fest. Everything's always like rebranded and rehashed. For sure. It's like did, did so many of those energy drink tours where you're like, oh yeah. <laughs> just like know, the same man. lineup. They just shuffle the deck and like, all right, it's now this festival. And like, okay. Just I know. Like I I feel like I feel like all of that stuff kind of like the, those tours. I feel like the Godfathers of those kinds of tours were like Pledge of Allegiance and Family Values and shit like that. And then, yeah. you know what I mean. And then like, uh, well, I guess too. You you might be able to speak to this. Actually, I was also gonna say like the Juggalo fests and shit. Didn't oh, you yeah. guys play some of those? You know, I never got a chance to um, perform at Juggalo Fest, but um, me as a person uh, okay. who is out here in the world uh, wanting to experience every cool thing, I 
gathering is on my bucket list. So yeah, I went, I went with suicide silence one year cause they're good friends of mine oh, cool. and they were, they were playing and I'm like, I gotta be there, you know? And, uh, it was everything I could have hoped for dude during their set. I think I have video of this, but like they had a wall of death that was so big. Juggalos are way cool with anything. They're the best fans They're Yeah. They go hard. Dude, yeah, they're also like way nicer than hardcore kids. I didn't realize that. Like hardcore <laughs> kids, everyone's so clicky and like just a fucking asshole. Like jugglers are all just like family, family, <laughs> and everybody just super cool everywhere you go. Uh, the only thing that like kind of put me off about the fest that's weird is, I mean, it's completely lawless, um, but there's no separation between like tent world and uh, um, like merch world. So you just like be like buying ICP merch or you know one of the many bands at Suicide Science or. There's a guy named Boondocks who played who everybody knew I'd never heard of. I'm not a juggalo, but I'll tell you what, his set was fucking insane. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, there was just tents everywhere. So like I got yelled at. I was like peeing in the in the woods behind a merch tent and it was Suicide's tent. And some guy was like yelling at me. I was like, ah, and I realized like I was pissing like five feet from his tent. Oh. Like, well, <laughs> what are you even doing here though? Like you're you're like in our fucking loading area, dude. But uh, you can camp anywhere you want. And at the end of the night, actually. Uh, like in the in the catering area, we ran into uh, Shaggy Two Dope. And oh, that he was would be so, really cool, dude. He was so cool. He's kind of yeah. hammered, and he was really, really gracious and kind, and just basically like, "Yo, guys, really appreciate you guys coming here playing this fest." Like every year, we try to get a couple crazy metal bands out. Um, I just and then he went on like kind of like a little like rant, not rant, but like a little speech about how he just loved the Juggalos and how the gathering belongs to them. It's all completely staffed by people who are like big fans of ICP and part of that yeah. whole community. So honestly, it goes off with a lot of drama be without a lot of drama. I think, uh, at least in mm -hmm. previous years, cause it's like self-contained. Everybody's like, yo, chill. Like we're all, we're all fucking juggalos. Like just let's, let's not get the cops involved here. <laughs> Dude, it's, um, it's wild how like one act because of, I mean, and I'm not taking away from their talent. They are very talented, but because of good marketing, and because of um, just the way that they do what they do, networking, touring relentlessly, working They're extremely hard, they've created an entire subculture. Most bands have fans or fan clubs. These guys have created an entire fucking subculture. <laughs> Dude, it's yeah, and you want, dude, and you want to talk DIY, dude? Like that, they're dude, they're like they apparently were like some of the OGs of like having a straight up like ICP compound where it's like you had your management, your studios, your merch facilities, you just fucking hire juggalos and friends, and uh, dude, it's tight. I don't listen to ICP. Have a warehouse, uh, you know? Yeah, it's like I'm like I tell you what, I don't listen to them at all. Um, no, but yeah. I, I did go see them after I saw them at the gathering. I went and saw them again because I was like, this is ridiculous. And my friend was working on the tour, so mm -hmm. he got us in. And uh, dude, it's just a fun, ridiculous show. It's like going literally to a fucking weird ass carnival. And uh, if you're into that kind of shit and you're into a weird experience, like, dude, why not go see ICP? Dude, I, I, said, I don't listen them. to them, but dude, it's like fun. It is great. And uh, I totally go back to the gathering. I'd love to play it again because uh, they, they treated the bands great. And, um, and again, dude, Juggalos are just fucking, they were all nice to me. I'll tell you what. Uh, I even did like a facetious whoop whoop by the uh, drink cooler because uh, there's a Fago in there and there's an orange one. And I was like, oh, whoop whoop, like kind of like being a dork to the band. And uh, like a, a stagehand came up next to me, he just looked at me like, whoop whoop, bro. Yeah. <laughs> and then we cheers the Fago. And then I was just like, man, dude, everyone here is cool as fuck. Uh, what is I'm the, uh, what is that? What I, I don't know. So I've heard uh, it. Oh, 
Uh, whoop whoop is just sort of like I believe it's just sort of like their call. You know what I mean? Like okay. you, uh, I know they have a few of them. I don't know much about it. Like I said, I went to the gathering for like one half of one day. Yeah, uh, but <laughs> you're not but steeped not, in the subculture enough to know the real hipster shit. I'm not. I would be considered a juffalo to their culture, which is basically what? like a fake juggalo. If I try to bring something, oh. juffalo, juffalo is like you're like a fucking buster ass like faker. You're not a real oh. juggalo. You just pretend to be a juggalo. <laughs> I've heard but, of uh, juffalo. Wow, I haven't heard of that. The Gruffalo? Oh, no, that's a children's book, man. Oh. Um, <laughs> hopping into dad oh. world for a second there. Oh, Juffalo. Awesome. Juffalo. Um, wow, be okay. Um, but uh, what was I going to say about uh, a Juffalo? Oh, but I do know a couple of their calls. I know that one of them is if uh, if someone goes, magic, magic, ninja, you got to go, what? Um, and then <laughs> okay. I believe the other one is like, who's going chicken hunting is the call. And then, like you, like I'd say, who's going chicken hunting? You'd be like, we's going chicken hunting. I, I don't know anything about that. All Maybe right. somebody can explain it to us <laughs> at some point. If you meet a juggalo, next time I meet one, I'm gonna ask because I don't know. I just know how to be a juffalo and like pretend, you know. Yeah. But uh, anyways, all respect to um, Violent J, Shaggy, Two Dope, ICP, and Fucking all the juggalos. Right. Yeah, dude, dude I, I need to know. get. Yeah, dude, I need to get a juggalo band on here and start dude, asking some of these questions. Like, dude, you straight up should, man. And there's actually give me like one oh one. Um, <laughs> dude, you totally should. And uh, dude, what's how about bands that went juggalo? That's weird. There was like no, I, never... I don't know about this. You can go like you can start as a band and then go juggalo. Okay, there's two things you can do. You can start as a band and go juggalo, which is what um the band Head PE did. Remember that new metal band from? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're juggalo band now. Like they're full juggalo. Oh, okay. Or you can do what I would consider the savvy move, uh, which is what Tech Nine does. Tech Nine is like fully like in with the juggalos, uh, but he's also Tech Nine and he's in with himself, you know, and his fans yeah. and his own fan base. So, dude, I saw Tech Nine play the gathering and fucking juggalos go insane for Tech Nine. It was crazy. It was such a good show, dude. It was insane. Um, and uh, you know, I was, honestly, I was like, you know, pretty fair weather with Tech Nine. Like I heard him here and there, and I was like, oh, this is cool. But yeah. uh, after that, I was like, all right, Tech Nine fucking rips. This is awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, you can do that too. So you can just like win over juggalos and have their hearts, but you don't necessarily have to go full juggalo yourself. Right. Okay. That's my Ooh. that's my take at least. <laughs> juggalo school, Mike Mulholland, and juggalo hey, school. Hey, dude, I never intended to learn this much, <laughs> but um, if you're out there, juggalos listening, um, I tip my hat to you, uh, family. Oh, it's actually it's actually fascinating to be honest because like when I was younger, people made fun of juggalos like nothing i mean you know they got That's why i'm here dude on. i'm standing up for guy fieri i'm standing up for nickelback and i'm standing up for juggalos dude oh man they've all been unfairly shit on for like the last 10 years i'll die on two of those hills <laughs> guy fieri <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes I hope, I hope that i hope one of those hills is flavortown <laughs> dude <laughs> that one of those hills happens to be in flavortown <laughs> dude okay so <clears throat> We were in um, Philadelphia last year, and uh, we had this, like, I was with my family, and, and we had this afternoon planned, but it was outside, and so it started pouring, and we couldn't do anything that we were going to do, so we spent the evening at the hotel. We got, like, room service, and there was a um, diners, drive-ins, and dives uh, fucking marathon on TV, so... The three of us, like my wife and my son and I just sat and watched and he had never seen it before. So we were like, I explained to him, I was like, 
I was like, okay, so it's basically like the singer of Smash Mouth eats a bunch of like crazy food and we like him for that. And, you know, he, he obviously didn't get it. And then like, I think like 10 minutes into the first episode, he was glued. And now he's, I mean, it's just like anybody that watches that show. You know, you fall in love with that. You fall like Diners, Dragons and Dives forever. Absolutely, dude. Guy Fieri, he's always out there. He's fucking feeding firefighters. He's donating to cancer. He uh, is just a generally nice and cool guy from what I hear. I haven't met him, uh, but um, I've heard only good things about him. So, uh, you know, I'm just here to stand up for Guy Fieri. You know, he's my boy. I'm, I'm here you to know, stand up for Guy Fieri, too. <laughs> Actually, Guy uh, Fieri. Oh, sorry. Fieri. I heard that <laughs> they don't like that over there, especially his wife. I've heard. I've watched a couple things, and, and I heard that his wife. She'll correct you, which is, or she'll give you a side eye, which is fine. That's fair. We should all be yeah. calling him by his proper name, Guy Fieri. I'm sorry, yeah. I didn't roll I my R lightly. Again, it's a one one hundred level <laughs> class, guys. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, Nickelback. I got out. <laughs> we're gonna we can close this up real quick with Nickelback. I mean, I, I I just I don't listen to him. I don't like fuck with Nickelback. But like, I don't like the Nickelback gets fucked with as bad as they do because like. Clearly, somebody's listening to him. With if you just look at Everyone's any Nickelback song on Earth and look it yeah. up on YouTube, and you'll see several commas, and um, you'll understand that um, something must not suck about them some somehow. I was just um, gonna say, like you, you can hate them all you want, but look at the views. <laughs> right. Um, not that <laughs> that's a good shit. measure of success. There's a lot of dog shit out there that has a lot of views, but yeah, they're also uh, Canadian. Like I was born in Canada, you know, so I'll stand up for my fellow oh, Canadians okay. too. Yeah. Okay. I'm a shitty Canadian cool. though. I don't like I. I haven't lived there since I was three, and I don't listen to Rush, so I, uh, I'm a bad Canadian. You don't listen to Rush? Okay, whatever. Um, yeah, sorry, so yeah, not, you... a, not, <laughs> not a Rush guy. You... Believe it or not. So how'd you go from Canada to Texas to upstate New York? Uh, single mom grinding, uh, yeah. elevating herself at every stage of life, and just moving around. Hell so, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I had a single mom pretty much like from three and she like basically every time I moved, it was either like a big educational move or a big job move. And uh, yeah, she went from like having a bachelor's degree in me as a kid uh, and like doing the whole thing, moving across the country a few times. And now she's the dean of a department at a university. So Motherfucker. dude, yeah, so, um, you, yeah. you've heard the story or you've heard the saying, uh, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Um Hell hath no fury like a single mom looking out for her kids. That's right, man. Yeah. Seriously. My mom was like a fucking pit bull. Like whenever the, you know, really what it was cool was about, I mean, my mom's an amazing person and uh, I kind of grew up in an oppressive place in West Texas. It's kind of like, you know, they still paddled people at my school, you know, and I was always fucked with because, yeah, that was still corporal punishment allowed. And there's actually a contract you signed at the beginning of the year that says like the school can hit your kid if they want to reprimand them in some way. And uh, I remember my mom was like, you motherfuckers will never touch my kids. So there'd be like this contract. And it was basically like every margin around a full page was just written in with like, I will fucking sue every person who's ever walked through. You're just like, (laughs) you know, do not touch my fucking kid. I will discipline him. You know, like, (laughs) like I do the disciplining, not you fucking rednecks. But uh, yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. um, You you turned out pretty successful. So. I mean, I don't know. It's. Uh, I feel like, as far as she's concerned, yeah, man, I'm a pretty happy person. And uh, uh, even though I had a single mom, she's always a great provider and uh, never felt like I needed anything, you know? So, yeah. 
Well, that rules. Shout out to your mom. Yeah, um, shout out to mom. We're getting lunch tomorrow. Rules, yeah, she's she's uh, free tomorrow. We're going to get some lunch. I haven't had lunch there in a few weeks. So. Oh, that's awesome. She lives like not too far from me, so I get to see her like, you know, they're like 20 minutes away. So it's, it's yeah. actually really, really nice. Um, well, that rules, my man. Um, yeah. Okay, so now we went through all these different bands and we went uh, kind of into your personal life a little bit, but let's get back to you musically because yes. um, I do have a couple more questions that I definitely want to get to. Um, and you know, maybe you don't have to dive into these if you really don't want to, but, um, have you played a guitar tuned above drop B since 2008? <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> yes, I have. Uh, believe it or not. Um, I, I actually, uh, I'm one of those guitar players who like fucking plays guitar. And, uh, yeah. so when I'm home, uh, I play acoustic guitar, um, and I keep, most of my acoustic guitars in standard tuning. Uh, I have one of them sometimes goes into D standard because uh, that sounds really nice on acoustic. But beyond that, yeah, it's like it does. tuning it sucks beyond that. Um, tuning down beyond, uh, well, I guess you could tune down a C on an acoustic, but it, it gets pretty squirrely. Um, and then, you know, I do keep a couple of guitars in standard tuning just for like ripping regular songs and things like that. Mm. But as far as performing in bands and playing below that tune, no, dude, I think even B is high. Like I think A has been kind of where I've been <laughs> at since 2007. Yeah. Um, and it's been interesting because uh, I'm, I'm like, it wasn't just recon that was in that tuning. It's like I moved over to uh, Bury Your Dead, they're in drop A. Uh, when I filled in for Liar's Murder, they're in drop A. Um, I don't remember when I filled in for, for The Fallen Dreams back in the day. I think we were in A, but it might have been A sharp. Um, but either way, it was down, down in that zone. Honestly, to me, B is an interesting one. Like, there's a lot of great bands that are in B. Um, Unbroken Wings would be one of the ones I think of right away. But B is like a, it sounds happy to me. That's why I never, like B, Recon was in B for two weeks. We tried, mm -hmm. we went from C standard to drop A sharp and and, it, and we went all the way chromatically, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, when we arrived at B, we we're like, dude, all these breakdowns sound happy. And it's just this weird, I think it's my, I'm the only one I think I've ever heard say this, but B just sounds kind of like joyful to me. And I don't want that. So I don't play Interesting. in B. Um it's got to be, and, and I'm digging G sharp right now in a Casey strain. Um, that's a fun one because it's basically like, you know, E flat Slayer tuning, but drop tuned on a seven. <laughs> what so uh, not, what gauge strings are you playing? Um, on, on that guitar, I'm running a 74 on my low string. And then I've got a pretty light top on it. I'm going up to tens, but I realized today when everything went up to speed on the high strings, I've got to switch over to probably some 11s on the bottom. But I still want to have like some nice fluid bendy stuff on the high strings. But I play really, really, well, I, I don't know what really heavy standards are, but my entire gauges on a 7 go uh, 74, 54, 42, 30, 17, 13, 10. Um, so if you're in drop G sharp, then what's your 54? What's your, what's your uh, sixth string tuned to? That would be uh, E flat. Okay. Um, it's very tight, um, but I play like I'm like mega heavy handed um, on the right hand side, and mm -hmm. I um, when think when I get up to speed and tension live, like I could fucking practice with anything. Um, I mm -hmm. could practice like you know 58s if I had to, uh, right. but like live when it, when it comes to tension and and, and speed and uh, just keeping it on two wheels, like I gotta fucking. I need heavy strings. Um, yeah. And honestly, I say, I'm hitting this weird point. Like, I, 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 I'm I, at this weird point of, like, diminishing returns with, like, getting a heavier string. Because right now with a 74, I can still, 
bend it and get big wobbly pinch harmonics out of it. And I, um, there's some big nasty bends in a Casey strain and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm all over those, but I almost want more tension on a standard scale guitar. Yeah. Um, but I have some, uh, extended range guitars on the way and I, I have some extended range guitars, but they're customs that I don't really want to bring on tour. Um, okay. But, um, but yeah, so long story short, I'm playing pretty heavy strings, uh, seven, sometimes I'll play a 72. Um, if I play in recon, I use a 72 to 13. And I'm actually playing like a 56. Uh, I think it's, it's a little, like two gauges higher. So it's like I go uh, 72, uh, 56, 44, uh, 32. Anybody who's not a guitar player has turned off this podcast. Yeah, that's okay. Um, but, uh, <laughs> this is fascinating. But, yeah. But yeah. So, but, and then, then it's like 17, 13 or something like that. So recon also brutally heavy tension, but I just find that, you know, just to keep the chugs sounding right, it's got to be tight, dude. It's got to be tight. Yeah, I agree. Um, Do you use uh, thick picks? No, I use a green uh, jumbo jazz uh, Tortex. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, and occasionally, I'll play the Altex one point fucking one or something like that. Maybe they're like the ones that are like clear yellow looking Dunlots that are also jumbo jazz, but it's always jumbo jazz. And it's either one of those two picks. And I decide depending on the song. Um, mm -hmm. Like if I'm doing like heavy triplets across three strings, I'll grab the bigger pick. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah. if I'm doing anything else, like I'll grab, you know, like a like today at rehearsal, I used just a green one the whole time. But I keep both available. Um, just depends how I feel. Now, when um, you're recording that type of music too, do you keep a selection of picks handy for different oh, yeah, parts? Oh, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. It's like I look at it as like different brushes or something, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like, you know, if you're going to paint something, you might not just want to have one brush, but maybe you do. Maybe you have a very versatile brush that works for you. But um, for me, most of the time I'd be using one kind of pick, but occasionally, like if you need a little bit of like, you know, you might grab a really light pick if you want to get some kind of like more mm, plucky kind of clean mm -hmm. part going on or something like yeah. that. Um, and then some parts, honestly, I, in a mirror, I played jazz threes for a couple of years, the really tiny ones. And if I want to go oh, really, yeah. really fucking fast, I can use a jazz three and like get there. But I end up like, this is weird, but like my index fingernail just like grinds down into just this ugly, terrible yeah. callus thing when I use those. So I switch yeah, to the jumbo yeah, jazz and it gives me a little more room. Yeah. Um, but you can go fucking fast as hell with those. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, you got to hold on to them. So I often find myself doing like the, uh, uh, razor blade uh, checkerboard across my picks to just give me some like sweatiness protection mm -hmm. um you know and that's like a, i think like an old dime bag trick or something like that but basically i don't know if you've ever done that but you just take like a exacto knife and just make like yeah it just works great yeah i have um, actually except yeah. you gotta be really careful i learned this the hard way like <laughs> you can uh, i learned the hard way that if you like go too deep you can snap your picks in half <laughs> so like i've oh, yeah. a couple shows where like i was a little too heavy-handed on the razor blade cuts and i just fucking broke some picks in half but Whatever. I've also heard of people putting gold bond on their fingertips or chalk. Whoa, weird. I do the opposite. I use fast fret. Really? I'm just like lubed up, ready to go. I wish I could just yeah. like dip my guitar in it, dude. It's because <laughs> it gets rid of a lot of that like slide sound, yeah. you know. And and um, I actually recently Acacia Strings got a Diario deal, so I switched over to their stuff, and I really like it. Um, it's oh, the cool. same thing as fast fret, but the applicator um, it's more like a magic eraser instead of like an old piece of an army coat. You know, yeah, because so. <laughs> I, I like um, I've been I love right now I'm doing the lubing the fretboard motion. Oh yeah, because um, I I feel like I got to do that like I like to do it two three times a set honestly if I can. Mm -hmm. 
oftentimes it's right before because I'm just feeling lazy and I forget to put some fast fret on top of my amp or something. But mm-hmm. uh, it, when I'm when I have foresight, I like to keep it around. Um, like today when I practiced, I had like basically I got about six songs through and I'm like, oh, it's time to fucking lube up. Mm-hmm. Now, do but you again, bring do you bring uh, more than one guitar per show? Are you yeah. playing the same guitar throughout the show? Uh, well, it depends on the band. Uh, I like I love when it's just one guitar for the whole show, and that's pretty much always been the case. Um, with Amir, if we had some kind of down tuning stuff, we would just pitch shift with an Axe FX, um, oh, okay. or, or or a whammy pedal. Before we had those, we'd use whammies and just use like the one uh, step drop or whatever, or the one octave drop, depending. This is like kind of the only options we had. Um, but um, yeah, with this band, uh, with Casey Strain, it's G sharp for a bunch of the tunes and drop F for a bunch of the tunes. And most of those are an eight string. I don't even have an eight string yet. I have one on order from Ibanez, but uh, kind of backed up with supply chain stuff. But fortunately, with this set of eight string songs, thus far in, in my learning, I, I can get away with a seven down tuned. Wow. So I've got like a 27 inch scale seven string uh, LA custom from Ibanez that I have... I've uh, been using for like learning all that stuff. So who's the yeah. fucking doom master that brought it into drop F? <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, I believe it was DL back in the day. Uh, yeah. DL uh, Laskiewicz, uh, I think that's how you say his name, a uh, good friend, former guitar player of a Casey Strain and yeah. uh, now singer of Bad Wolves. Um, but he was the oh, one. I didn't know that. Yeah, DL is the got singer. Rid of, uh, what's his name? Yeah, uh, Tommy. Yeah. And now um, the only reason I know this is that uh, Chris Kane, good friend of mine, just quit that band, actually. But he uh, plays in Barry Dead with me. And um, oh, cool. Yeah. So. Uh, so we've kind of like we like I, I was just using their practice base uh, for Barry Dead stuff with those boys in December out in California because Chris is, you know, both bands at the time. But yeah, so DL was the one who, uh, you know, I think he wrote the first like probably four or five case train albums. I'm not exactly sure. I haven't done the count. Um, but I believe uh, by Wormwood, 2010, that's when they brought in the eight string, and mm. uh, and then I think he just went with um, F is the logical extension to me uh, of G sharp because it's just mm-hmm. basically like, well, first of all, I think it is the exact same tunings as Meshuggah. I don't know if that was planned or not, but um, it's just basically E flat, and then you get it's basically flat tuning. You know what I mean? It's basically everything mm-hmm. is just a half step down. So I believe right. a stock eight string is F sharp. Um, oh, okay. I think F is just real mean. It's really fun. I never really played this low. You know, I've done some stuff, yeah. like I said, with, with Amir. We actually did something, well, I shouldn't say this low. We did one song in drop E, uh, okay. but we just pitch shifted uh, down an octave, and I just played it on, like, my E string. So it actually okay. it tracked pretty tight. Um but uh, with them, it's like, you know, we're really actually riffing these songs out all the way through an F. And so um, <laughs> I'm well, nerd, uh, nerd question real quick, though. So tracking in F yes. um, or, or in E or whatever, you know, you said you did it with a pitch shifter. Um, mm-hmm. do you not never notice... tracking, though. Never tracking. I'm sorry? Only live. Oh, never tracking. Okay, okay, um, okay. N- not on an album. Only ever live that I did that just to clarify. Well, maybe maybe as a hypothetical, you can answer it though. But do you think there's any major tonal differences between playing it organically on a in uh, a finely tuned string in F or in E, um, or using the pitch shifter? One hundred percent. Using a guitar tuned down sounds better. Has less latency. Gets less wobbly. It 
responds like a real guitar. I haven't found a pitch shifter, including the one on the Kemper, that doesn't have any latency. So, um, like, for example, I was learning a couple of the faster case strain songs that are in F. Um, there's a couple that have, like, fast parts. And uh, due to, like, the sort of lag of the pitch shifter, it it gets, like, a little murky because you're, like, you're playing so fast with your hands and then that information's mm-hmm. coming to you, like, at just a whatever amount of milliseconds to piss you off. Yeah, and get in your fucking way. So, yeah, I was. I, I think that you can get away with pitch shifting certain songs live because, like, once you're like you know in, in the sauce with the other four guys, and you know, there's already going to be a slight latency from your wireless packs, and there's a way you can make it like kind of work. And your in ear packs, there's like there's like some weird sag, but it's it's very it's very close. It's sub perceptual, but it's there. Um, yeah, so long story short, real guitar, tuned down, intonated, ex- extended scale, ideally. Um, like right now, I'm on a standard scale, 25 and a half in G-sharp. And the only way I can keep that thing fucking straight is with <coughs> the super, heavy, super heavy strings I'm using. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's that. But I look forward to getting, um, I'm getting a, a couple longer scale guitars, a 26 and a half and a 27, which make it just a bit easier because you can... You know, you can run a lighter string and still stay intonated and still stay tight. Yeah. Um, and uh, again, I hate to keep bringing up Meshuggah, but they were always like guys I looked up to from like a, a guitar, yeah. even not even like a riff perspective, but like their ideas about tone and, and shit are very cool. And um, I know uh, their guitar player, Martin, I, I was watching an interview with him at one point, and he just expressed that like having an eight string guitar is not really about fucking necessarily having that many notes available it's yeah. about it's about being able to have a guitar tuned to f that just sounds so deep and crazy yeah uh, and just like that gives it that nasty sound so um and i certainly hear it too dude like when i grab when i tune down for example like a 20 you know five and a half inch scale and they're flapping all over the place <coughs> in on a in f and then i throw it yeah. on my 27 it's like my 27 just it's like built you know, for lower lower tuning things. So I've never played one, dude. They're good to have in the in the arsenal to get maybe one yeah. baritone. You know, um, I and, think so uh, too. Yeah, and also, I mean, you could also grab a six string baritone if you're not a seven or eight dude. I don't think you necessarily need to have all those strings. To me, it's just mm-hmm. more to keep quiet. Honestly, um, uh, uh, seven string is like you know. I, I've never honestly played a, a, a eight live. I've done a lot of seven string stuff. And, you know, it is one extra string you're keeping quiet, and I guess an eight would be two extra strings that you're keeping extra quiet. Because, you know, in mosh music, it's like half of the time we're playing, half the time we're, like, keeping the fucking guitar's feedback in control. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, it's just what, a delicate uh, dance. Pickups, what pickups are you running in the uh, seventh string? Uh, I'm pretty much a Seymour Duncan die- guy through and through. Um, I yeah. really... Um, you know what's nice is I've realized, like... I can get away with like some medium to low output pickups. Um, and I, I don't know if this is the way I play or whatever, but like I've never really felt the need after exploring some lower gain pickups to like go with the crazy, crazy hot ones. But to answer your question, uh, Seymour Duncan, I currently in my main guitar, I believe I have a custom five, which is not a sexy or sought after pickup, but a custom five is a great sounding pickup. It's like medium output. And it's this perfect medium for me that it sounds awesome when I plug it into like a real amp and it sounds awesome when I plug it into an amp modeler. Because one thing I'm realizing is like I have some pretty hot pickups. Like I have a bare knuckle Blackhawk in one of my yeah. LA custom baritones. And that thing is searing hot. 
It mm-hmm. sounds great. But like honestly, its sweet spot is like me backing off the volume knob. I was gonna uh, say, does it hiss a lot? Uh, not too bad. I can keep it under control, but you know, that amp that guitar to me sounds better going into like a fifty one fifty or a recto. Um as opposed to a Kemper, because you know, when you're thinking about your computer or a Kemper or an XFX or whatever you might be using that's not a real amp, like you don't need to like murder the front end of that thing. Like it just needs a right. reasonable amount of signal and you can do any boosting. And oftentimes I feel like, you know, sometimes the hotter the signal you give that thing, maybe the worse off you are. I don't know if that's just like anecdotal, yeah. like from from my experience or whatever, but I'm finding that like lower to medium output pickups tend to sound really good with the Kempers and XFXs, which are the only two I have experience with. I never tried Quad Cortex or Helix. Um, but I also, I spent a good deal of time using the uh, Fortin um, Meshuggah plug-in from Neural DSP as well as the Omega Granofire from really? uh, Neural DSP. And I also use Parallax for bass on demos. Yeah. And those plugins fucking rock. They're great, um, okay. especially together. They, they work together really nicely because... To me, the Granifier is like a 5150 killer. Um, mm-hmm. And the Meshuggah Fortin one is like a nuclear JCM 800. So you get like that kind of cool, like martially mid range thing that might not necessarily sound amazing on its own. But if you like bolster up, uh, you know, a more, I guess, spongier or like, you know, more just mm-hmm. a fucking tighter high gain head. Um, it does a really nice thing. And I think that's the reason why so many records have been some combination of like a, you know, a JCM 800 and a rectifier or a JCM 800 and a 5150 yeah. or a Bogner and a fucking, you know, Marshall or whatever. You're, you're basically running your plugins like when you demo, you're basically running your plugins like an AB route to two different plugins. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'll just, um, or, or, you know, what I'll do is um, like a, a trick that, I think like Joe Barisi uh, is like the the dude who I heard refer to it as like the Clint Eastwood track. Sometimes I'll do like a center track where I might have stereo guitars. Let's say they're fifty one fifty, but then you have like a mono center kind of Marshally tone. And I'm wondering these days if I like that better than quad tracking because like when Recon did Viper City, we quad tracked everything, and there's just certainly like a tightness element you lose, which gets better with like the player, you know what I mean? Like kind of how um, tight you are of a player, like it'll sound tighter, but I believe that record's like quad tracked. Um, there's a lot of guitar layers on there. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering like, is that necessary? I don't know. Mm. Um, but I do, I do like doing the kind of like stereo guitars, single tracked with a, a middle mono thing going on, at least for my own purposes. And um, what's cool is when I was filling in for Thy Art, they had this kind of thing running because everything's like on tracks and, and click tracks and all that. <clears throat> That we'd have exterior like guitars, obviously, like I, was, I think I, I don't remember. I think I was on stage left, you know, and, you know, mm-hmm. we'd have stage right guitar. Um, but certain parts of the set, there'd be like this. Uh, I think it's like a Will Putney thing, but like there'd be like this mushy, subby kind of like ugly sounding guitar that would just come mono right down the center, just on really filthy slams and things like that. But it cool. just like lifted the whole part up, like just added extra like nastiness and um I think it's really cool. So I try to like bring that into my own recording. So what ha- ends up happening a lot of times is like if I'm like recording, you know, verse, chorus, you know, breakdown, whatever, I might bring the third guitar in on a chorus or on a harmony or something like that. That's fascinating. Yeah. The whole thing is just interesting. It, it's, I'm so fascinated by, um, and on this show specifically, I think I got into talking about this at first 
with Rob Fusco um, because he yep. did the um, love Rob. Yeah. And, and his most recent album that he did, uh, we were talking about how it got recorded. And then ever since then, you know, I, I like talking about the bands and, and everything like that. But once you start getting into this, the semantics and the uh, ins and outs of modern recording and just the, the amount of control you have over things, the amount of ease that you can do things with. It's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating how Dude, these things it, are done. And I'll tell you what, too, for the longest time, probably probably up until probably up until COVID, to be honest with you, I was so against digital guitar tones and everything like that. And I guess that's just like the old school guitar player in me, like fighting back, you know, like the boomer Dude, in me. <laughs> I know, dude. I'm, you're preaching the choir, and let me tell you something, man. I just got a Kemper, like, like okay, I've used them in the past, but like, I, I was feeling for the IR, I was using them, but with that band, like, they're so fucking dialed in that I did, literally all I had to do is like tune my guitar with it, and then I had a pedal board, and like all the patches are pre-programmed, so like if I had my leads or you know, so it was it wasn't even a ton. It was like I had like a rhythm tone and a lead tone, and maybe I had two mm -hmm. lead tones, and I maybe had like a tight gate patch or something like that for really percussive tight stuff where it's got to be mega crispy. Mm -hmm. But I just did an experiment the other day where I uh, I pulled out my classic recon rig, which was like, it's a 5152 that I bought with my fucking first job money. It's still one of my favorite amps. It sounds so good. Um, bought it when I was Did you 17. come again? Because on my end, you flipped out. It, it blipped oh, out. Oh, sorry. You, what amp um, was it? It's a 5152. Oh, okay. Um, it's a classic, fit, you know, PV. Um, yeah. I bought that, I think, in 2003. It was my first, I was like, my first job. And, uh, I ran that into my very well-worn Mesa cab, and I mic'd it up with the same combo that um, uh, Recon liked to you use for our records. Lost you. Oh shit! I don't um, know if you can hear me or not, but I, I can hear you. Can frozen. you hear me? We'll give it a second here. All right, let's see what happens. Yo, how are you You're doing? You're back. You're back. All right, cool. There you are. All right. All right. Anyway, Sweet. um, so uh, um, so you were talking about you had you had got the fifty-one oh, fifty-two. Yeah, so I uh -huh. um so I basically uh, uh can you hear me? I can now. Still here? Yes. Okay, cool. All right. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'll just hopefully that it hopefully it works. Um uh yeah, so basically my rig for that band is like uh, a well beat up Mesa cab. There's fucking a million shows through it. Um like and tours like I remember we did like an Earth Crisis tour uh with like Terror, Earth Crisis, Sworn Enemy, Down to Nothing a million years ago and yeah. 2008 actually. Um but uh every band on the package used those cabs. And and then from there on, it was like after the races, those things went through a million shows. And there's something about like a cab that's really been punished that I like. And um, mm -hmm. so the long and short of this is I are we there? Yeah, okay. yeah, oh, cool. Yeah, uh, is that I um I just I use the Kemper to profile it. So I um I like summed with my two favorite mics, like an SM57 and a Sennheiser 421. Um, uh, I got it sounding really good. I summed them through a small mixer and then I sent that back through the Kemper and I profiled it and dude, I was so surprised. I was a skeptical, skeptical, sorry, skeptical as you are. Um, and dude, it fucking sounds great. Like it really sounds awesome. And I had to do a couple tries, but like within half an hour of like getting down with the profiler and like really making sure it was dialed in right before I started, dude, I have like a great recon tone um that is a profile now and i'm actually i'm taking that amp i just call it the recon tone because it's like what we use on all the records but um 
I'm now using that to rehearse all my case train stuff. So like when I run the, like run through the session and I bring myself into the session and mix myself in, I'm actually now mixing myself in using a Kemper profile that I made that sounds like my fucking amp. So yeah. I'm now like come to the other side of this thing where I'm already like amps I've been lusting over. I'm like, dude, do I really need like a, a JCM 800? Like I could mm -hmm. just probably find some fucking profile online that, you know, it's not just the, uh, the, 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 what's the best way to put this? Like, I feel like I, I have a real head. I have a few of them. I have a few nice real amps and I barely use them, dude. I fucking almost yeah. always when I'm trying to get creative, I'm not like miking up a cab. That's more to me like shit you do later when you're trying to make a real album at this yeah. point. So as much as it is fun, um, it's just like, it's so loud, you know, and oh, yeah. uh, now it's like, I can just plug in either an Axe-FX Kemper or, you know, neural DSP plugs. And I'm like, I'm fucking 98% there and I'm not thinking about it. And it's quiet enough to where I can just throw my in-ears in or my headphones or just run through the monitors and it's perfect. So, um, I've come around the other side. Um, I do think that when it comes to stage volume, you can't beat a fucking tube amp, dude. Like okay. when I, I, I'm sure you've seen like, um, this is one thing I've noticed, like, uh, watching my friends bands side stage from like the early days versus now when everybody's on Kempers. Um, cause like nowadays all you hear is just like, you just hear drums. Yeah. Uh, there's sure, no, yeah. yeah, there's no, a lot of these bands don't have live cabs or anything like that. And so it just so sounds a little monitor bit. monitors in their in-ear. Yeah. Everything's okay. in everyone's ears and you, like in your ears, it sounds like a fully perfect mix. You're like, if you're a guitar player on the left side, like your guitar will be mostly left. You'll get a little bit of your right side guitar player, kick snare bass right down the middle, vocals right down the middle or whatever you want. Really. Everybody gets to kind of tailor their own mix, uh, through a set of faders on an iPad. So, um, it's really, really cool. But, um, one thing that I've noticed, this is not something that probably many think about is that when you're at this weird phase of like not playing the biggest stages on earth and sometimes having to play like really small clubs, which is like being like a case stream, we're like mostly a small club band. Um, there's times where if you don't have like a good sounding, uh, stage sound, uh, people in the front row are going to be really fucking confused because a lot of PAs kind of hang their speakers a little further out front, Yeah, you know? So, uh, a lot of clubs hang their speakers out front. So there's just this weird thing that's been happening lately where sometimes I go up front row to see a band and I'm like, fuck, all I hear is fucking drums, man. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> but um, luckily, Casey's yeah. Trains has the powered campers. And so we are going to have plenty of stage volume. And those things sound great. It's not as cool as tubes. Uh, I'll tell you, there's something about like the way air gets pushed when you run them through power tubes versus solid mm -hmm. state. Like I can like it like fucking blows my leg hair back, you know? Um, but, um, solid state will still get it done. It's not, it's, you know, uh, but a lot of bands I think who have the, the coolest, uh, Kemper tones are running like, uh, tube power amps mm -hmm. from a, with a, with a digital pre, which would be the, uh, Kemper. Now, um, what's your, uh, cabinet setup for the stage? Um, well with this band, uh, with Casey strain, um, Sorry, I keep saying this band, uh, but with the case of strain, I believe we're running uh, a 412 and 212 high-powered orange cabs, the ones that are okay. 400 watts on the 412, and then I believe the bottom cabs have been swapped out so that those are also the same speakers so that they're uh, 200 watts each. So we have 600 watts total uh, of cab power uh, on stage versus, you know, I guess you get 100 less if you use vintage 30s. 
Um, but those cabs sound cool, man. I think that they're great. I think the orange stuff's awesome. Um, I'm like medium picky when it comes to cabs. Um, yeah. I'm very lucky in that I have a pair of Omega cabs, which they built for me in 2013. Uh, Mike Smith over at Omega, he's the fucking dude. They're Omega to me is the best high gain amps. Um, uh, I might get one of their granifiers. I've been using the plugin a lot, and uh, Barrier Dead uh, has a member of the band who worked for Omega for a long time, Chris Towning. Oh, okay. And um, so for a while we were just using Omega gear, and I loved it. I, I didn't even need a tube screamer, dude. You just fucking you go straight into those heads with a noise gate, and it just sounds perfect. Shit. Yeah, they're awesome. Um, and the cabs they built me are great. They built me cabs that are essentially like. Um, birch construction, almost like a orange cab, but the size of an oversized Mesa with the speakers, vintage thirties. Oh, nice. So yeah. of, a, of a Marshall. So I kind of like did a hybrid of my three favorite cabs, which are like the three basics, an orange, a Mesa and a Marshall. Um, so my Omega cabs are my favorite. They're fucking awesome. But I also have like just these two Mesas, dude, that just sound awesome. And then I also have a JC, or sorry, a, uh, 1960a marshall cab so i have the 412 oh nice classic um, yeah yeah dude i've had it forever i've probably had that for 20 years um but i like cabs and uh you know if i can i like running full stacks i think it's sick as hell so um yeah. the more the merrier as far as i'm concerned i'm fortunate to have a good amount of storage space so i just like you know i keep cabs hell yeah and i think um griffin is running don't hold me to this. I know he's running dark glass heads. I don't know. I heard he's running dark glass cabs now, but they had like a cool cover on them, so I didn't really look. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, his tone is like fucking slamming. That's crazy. So Does he not run through the Kemper? Nope. He's running dark glass. He's running two of okay. them, too, and they sound slightly different. So he's running uh, not two 810s. He's running four 410s. So each side has like, you know, basically bass and guitar, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. Sounds very thick for bands like Casey Strain. And Re- Recon did the same thing, but we ran two Ampeg 810s and four Mesa cabs, whereas Casey Strain runs, you know, you know, two three-quarter stacks and four bass cabs that are 410s. Um, but apparently they're really light and they sound really good. Um, I don't know. Dark Glass is like kind of really changed the game for, I think, high-gain bass as far as I'm concerned. I heard they just got like... Who do they just get absorbed by? Like Roland or somebody huge? Uh, I forget who. Or Eventide? I, I, I don't know. Yeah. But either way, Dark Glass, um, th- that's the shit for bass, dude. Um, I, I, I can't. A... Oh, go ahead. Oh, say go ahead. I, I have a friend who um, turned me on to the Dark Glass pedal um, that he uses when he records. but And I think it has a 12, uh, or it has a preamp tube in it. Cool. Um, yeah, and I, I've not heard... Uh, they're amps, but I did hear the demo from the pedal. The the tones are dope. I mean, you know, it's it's everything that you're looking for. Absolutely, yeah, and yeah, especially it's like kind of seems like a one stop shop for just like good high gain tone. Because you see back in the day, like you might have had to grab like a Sans amp, and then you might need like some kind of cool overdrive, and then you're probably gonna need to grab like a cool compressor. Yeah. Um, from what I understand, those pedals seem to be like just throw and go. You just fucking plug that thing in, and it's it's, it's ready to rip. So uh, I don't have one. I still like, I live in the dark ages. I have a Sans amp still, um, but I don't play bass that often. I played bass for a few bands on tour, like for the Fallen Dreams and To Kill, but that was so long ago. Um, yeah. I, I have a bass rig and shit, but it mostly just sits around. Most of the time when I play bass, it's like for the songs I'm demoing and yeah. uh, I just plug it right into Parallax from Neural DSP um, 
I paid for it. I'm not sponsored by them or anything. They just uh, make really good shit. And mm-hmm. um, I bought it on sale, I think, like a fucking Labor Day last year or something like that. It was like 60 bucks. Um, by the way, uh, they are, uh, if you guys are looking to buy Neural DSP plugins, uh, do what I did, wait till Black Friday, because they like do 50% off if, you, if you're patient enough. Um, yeah, I, I am because I'm a cheap ass, <laughs> especially with no, plugins. I'm like I'm always way. buying like dorky, you know, recording plugins, and you know, between like Plugin Alliance and Isotope uh, and Waves, um, I give a lot of my money to plugins companies. Although less to yeah, Waves I, these days because they make it hard. I have an Isotope plugin too, but I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head right now. Uh, I, just, I, oh, it's great, dude. Isotope makes Neutron, which is a really nice, like, fucking... It's got, like, everything. Exciter, compressor, EQ. And, like, you can throw that, like, on your drum bus or your guitar bus and get it, like, sparkling a little more. Or get it slamming harder, whatever you need. Oh, it's the uh, the Nectar. Oh, that's the vocal one, right? Where it's, like, yeah. a one-stop shop for vocals with, like, yes. de compressor. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I have that, too, because I just bought, like... It's their- amazing. Uh, I'm going to explore that because I bought their diamond bundle for the holidays. Again, holiday bundle. Mm-hmm. Got to get those deals. It was okay. literally everything from Isotope for, I think, 160 bucks, And yeah. uh, it was on Sweetwater, so I grabbed that. And um, shout out Sweetwater. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, where were we at just now? I just started thinking about Sweetwater. Isotope. And the order I just put in. Yeah, Isotope. Um, I, I really like... Um, this is the most utilitarian plugin they have, I think, but it's called Tonal Balance Control. And uh, if you're somebody like me who, like, your room isn't completely treated and you're unsure about certain uh, frequency ranges, like maybe you're like, is my low end out of control or is my high mids, like, are they weird or pokey? Um, a tonal Balance Control, like, compares your entire mix you throw at the end of your, like, um, your master bus. And, and essentially, it just gives you a read of like your lows, your low mids, your high mids, and your highs. And it tells you where your mix stands against like 5,000 mixes that they've banked that are they consider good mixes. And so what that'll tell you very quickly is like, oh, my mix is way too much bass. Or holy shit, how do I have that little high end or whatever it might be. Like it just shows you on a thing. So And uh, they do that all mathematically with pre-calculated frequency ranges. I'm sure, yeah. There's yeah. Uh, that's much smarter people than I am. That's I just, crazy. I just use it to make sure. Yeah, I just <laughs> use it to make sure that when I send somebody else in my band a demo, that when they put it in their car, that the bass isn't gonna like fucking break something, you know? Destroy them, yeah. Uh, but yeah. Also, uh, Isotope has what's the what's the mastering one that rules? I keep forgetting what it's called, but um, um, they have one that's just like a one-stop mastering thing. Oh, Ozone. Ozone Seriously. rules. You literally oh, just like okay. they have one called like like Mix Assistant. And yeah. uh, you might have to run it a couple times, but I think we'll usually spit out like something that makes your shit sound a little bit cooler. And I've run oh, it like shit. on the master bus for like ghetto mastering, which I've done pretty often. Um, yeah. Um, That's fascinating stuff, dude. I could seriously sit and talk about this all night because it's just like it's come so far from rigging up SM57s with a four track mixer in our bedrooms and shit. And now it's like you can, if. It, if if it's not studio quality, you can get near studio quality in your bedroom now. You oh, know? yeah, dude. And I feel like most, I mean, a lot of us musicians, like, sounds like you are, sounds like I am. A lot of people I'm in bands with, it's like, you know, it, it's just out of pragmatism that we have to, like, do mm-hmm. this stuff. Because it's like studio, st- first of all, studio time is expensive. And second of all, it's like... <laughs> studios are like becoming fewer and far between it's like there's so many home studios now it seems like there's big massive ones that are expensive and then there's like there's some cool middle of the road ones depending on what town you're in but like 
for example, I don't have a lot of stuff available around here that I can just like go work for cheap in. So, um, you know, I've just kind of had to like, just learn myself. And also you learn that the more homework you do, the more you can map out your tempos ahead of time, the more you can like practice and rehearse and even like, you know, even track instruments and auxiliary tracks or even do all your guitars and reamp later. Like you can save a ton of money and time from the studio and then reserve, you know, the big rooms that are costly for your drum tracking and then maybe your vocal production, which, you know, for metal guys, you don't really need that much. Um, really just like the mics that you and I are using, like a SM7B is what most uh, heavy dudes are using in the studio. You, you record vocals with the SM7B? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, the dude, the heavy guy does the most vocals here is Vincent. He did uh, mm-hmm. all of it comes in waves in my attic. Um, okay. and, and then I've done a few guest spots for him and i literally i couldn't even tell you the bands because <laughs> i don't i, I mean I, I don't remember he'd always cool. be like oh dude my friend's band needs a guest like a spot and i'll be like all right cool uh i'm i'm down and so uh, mm-hmm. i'll track him for him but um yeah so honestly if you're a metal band and if you're trying to save money but you want to record real drums like the best thing to do is like learn the shit real well have it fucking yep. deep deep in your heart and soul know that song and then go to a nice room and just do drums there and spend a day or two or whatever you got to do. And then uh, take that back to somebody you can mix and then track all your guitars. And uh, You know what I'm saying? Um, I just find that that's probably the cheapest way. But uh, that's for bands like Recon and stuff. Like a case of strain, we're going to go into the studio with uh, Randy. Um, forget Randy's last name. I just know him as Randy. Uh, he did Left Behind's record. He did Slow Decay, Case of Strain. I believe he did that Take Life record. Mm-hmm. Um, but Randy rules. Uh, he works over at, uh, is it called graphic nature now? I don't know. It's Will Putney studio in New Jersey. It was called graphic nature. Uh, um, I don't know, but man, you imagine working with him? Oh, he's the goat. I mean, his, yeah. his productions are just absolutely oh, sick. It's dude. insane. Yeah. yeah he's, I haven't, um, just to, just to go back to the mics real quick. I haven't had as much success, um, recording vocals with the SM seven B. I have recorded with uh, the Rode NT1A. Nice. Good um, mic. Yeah. And we've had, well, I mean, I've had a couple different vocalists in here and recorded with it, and I've had great success. And I can't, I haven't, I don't think I've experimented enough with the SM7B to get the sound that I want out of it yet. Or, you know, I just haven't been able to get the the depth and the clarity that i get from the road um but oh yeah well i mean you're gonna i mean the thing is uh you know the road's gonna be a condenser so you're gonna get a lot more top end out of it it's just gonna be crispier it's gonna be like more immediate um Mm -hmm. because this thing's basically an sm7 is like it's almost like an sm57 in like a real beefy housing or something like it's not a crazy sounding mic but it i think the thing about it that that people like is it can take a very high amount of, of spl of like sound pressure level so you can get a guy who's like you can get a, a Vincent or, you know, like I'm trying to think of loud guys like Vincent, uh, CJ from Thy Art, super loud. Um, uh, Frankie from Amira was really, really loud. These kind of guys can like break condenser mics, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like with the, with just the fucking thing that comes out of them. Um, so what's cool about the SM7 is that it's very like you can massage it and just you can really just beat it into submission. You can it takes EQ really, really well. And uh, one thing I like to do with the high gain vocalist is on the back, you'll see there's like a little dip switch and there's like a, you can either do a low cut or like a presence boost. Mm-hmm. I leave the low cut flat. I don't touch it. And I'll do the presence boost. 
And that'll okay. give you like a little bit more of a spitty kind of uh, cool sound. The other move mm. is that you pull off the you pull off the thing here, and then you use a regular windscreen because these things are kind of thick. These um, uh, windscreens, mm -hmm. so you can just like pull the whole thing right off, and then you can just put a regular windscreen in front of it, or yeah. not. You know, and just hope. You know, if there's a crazy plosive, like if they hit a nasty P or a B or whatever, um, mm. you just have to have them recut it. But you know, yeah. This is what it is. Well, now, do you do you? How do you bring it up to a good level? Um, do you like compress the shit out of it? Do you uh, bring it up on the interface? Um, well, you know, one thing I've learned actually the hard way because I've definitely tracked a bunch of shit way too quiet, and then had to gain mm -hmm. it up later, and then all you end up doing is bringing up like your noise floor. So uh, I try to make sure that when part of the reason I use the cloud lifter with the SM7 is that uh, I can get an appropriate level, you know, in my DAW to where the noise signal to noise ratio is really good and from there um then it takes compression and everything much better because you're, you're dealing with like the appropriate levels so you can be gentler and um i try not to ever slam with one compressor too hard i prefer to slam with like a couple compressors in series like always an 1176 and then sometimes like i use the waves rvox plugin which is really cool very simple compressor plugin um, and then there's like the waves, uh, LA two a and three a, which sound kind of cool on certain things. The three a is better for vocals. Two a is better for like bass and instruments, but, um, yeah, compression rules. And, um, also with, uh, I pretty much, I don't know. I think a lot of people do this, but I, everything I do that I record goes through an SSL style channel strip. So I basically, I use like an emulation of a console. And mm -hmm. so I have all my little EQs, compression and gain like on, you know, little, little knobs and uh, I try to use my ears more than my eyes and uh, mm -hmm. I've been pretty lucky so far, but uh, I really like the SSL style stuff. And um, I lately been using uh, Brainworks plugins for that, um, but Waves makes them and Solid State Logic themselves make their own brand of it. And I believe Universal Audio does it as well. But um, I just use Brainworks because it was for sale on Plugin Alliance and it fucking rules. I use the G channel on guitars and I use the E channel on everything else. Okay. Um, not that I mix records, but it's like yeah. I, I don't mix records professionally or anything. But like uh, I have, you know, mixed music for some stuff. But uh, I think it sounds pretty good and probably some producers would agree. Like, uh, that, you know, with so these tactics. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, um, yeah. that's just so interesting to me, man, because, um, I, I've had this same problem with, uh, I, I don't know why, I don't know exactly how, but I'm going to have to experiment with it a little bit more, but I've had this same problem of, you know, recording vocals with the SM seven and they just come out too low. I don't know exactly what I'm doing wrong. Um, but they just end up so quiet and like, uh, do you, do you like raw going, <laughs> I was going to say going in raw, um, hey man, when sometimes you got it. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you got it, but um, are you recording at like negative six uh, decibels or? You know, I don't coming I, in at. I don't know, man. I'm I'm, I'm looking for the bottom of green, or the top of green, bottom of yellow. Um, mm. uh, yeah, that's about it. I don't really know. Sure. I, I just want to make sure it's loud enough and not too loud. Um, because you just want to leave some headroom available so that you can compress and shit like that. Because if it gets too loud, it just doesn't give you much room to work with, okay. um, yeah. if that makes any sense. But um, yeah, I've, I've been finding like, especially with the SM7, like I end up doing a few EQ moves like uh, almost all the time just to get it sounding right. Like I always like low cut, probably to like 80, 
you know, just get mm-hmm. like everything below 80 hertz out of the fucking picture. Maybe more, maybe 100. I don't know. It depends on the vocalist. It depends on the style of music, too. Uh, and then like, you know, maybe gut out a little bit of low mids, like 300 Hertz is fucking terrible for almost everything. And then, um, I usually like add some top end, like maybe like, I don't know, somewhere in four or five K or something. Um, I, I don't really know. I just kind of follow my ears. It really depends on the vocalist depends on, you know, you just, I, I found that too, like not having too much visual information helps. Like it can get crazy when you get on like going back to like isotope plugins and things like that. When you're looking at all that information visually, it can be like super stimulating. But then you might be reaching for like visual marks, but like in a world that we're working in of audio, like that doesn't make any sense. So like, you know, sometimes a compressor, like ideally you don't want to be like taking off, you know, more than three or five dB or whatever. But sometimes you might be like, slamming an 1176 and it's already like it's like already like the end of the fucking vu meter and it sounds great and just gotta trust your ears dude it's like i was and i always felt that like it was like frustrating when when i was learning recording and stuff like everybody i knew who was good was like yeah i don't know man but like you just gotta trust your ears and yeah "Yeah, but teach me the ways master but (laughs) i'm learning like you just gotta like just listen to a lot of music figure out what a good vocal sounds like figure out what your tastes are and then get it as close as you can and then also you know working with buses um i was lucky enough to like while tracking the incomes and wave stuff for Vincent to like get a glimpse into uh, Will Putney's vocal tracking um, templates. Well, not templates, but like the basic things that, you know, the starting point for mixing vocals on a record. Um, And dude, you'd be very surprised at like just how much reverb, delay, and distortion is on some of our favorite records. Like some vocals are so distorted, you wouldn't even know. So some records have so much fucking reverb and like all it's doing with that reverb is cutting through the density of the mix and just making the vocal sit right. Yeah, it's mostly for presence. Exactly. But it's just amazing that like once you isolate it, you're like, oh, my God, this guy's like swimming in a something's in a fucking swimming pool. But you're like, yeah, yeah. You then you put him in the context of the mix. You're like, oh, it sounds just right. So, well, I do this. I, I do this really nerdy thing where I work out with. <clears throat> excuse me um i work out with big uh beats and headphones and i will listen to certain albums like uh, just um the newest hate breed album for instance i actually haven't um, checked that out okay so it, all the shit i talked yeah it's a good album um but i will listen like one day i'll be on the elliptical and i'll listen to that album only on the left side and then wow. You know what I mean? And then I'll listen to the album only on the right side. And what I'm listening to is um, it, you get a better, like, especially on, like, the single guitar parts and the lead-ins and stuff like that, um, you get a, a better grasp on, you know, the uh, the fi- the finished product of the vocals. Um, and, there, you know, like you've said, specifically with that mix, um, there was more reverb and delay on it. Like when there's the openings to hear it and because you have one isolated headphone and it's, you know, pretty loud, um, you have an opportunity to, to, there's a few spots in the album that you can savor, you know, those background noises that you wouldn't otherwise appreciate oh, if you didn't. Oh, can you hear me now? Yeah. Yeah. just lost for okay. one second, but I think I got all that. Yeah, yeah, um, you wouldn't. Yeah, you wouldn't otherwise be able to appreciate the the kind of stuff that goes onto a track like that unless you were able to isolate it, I guess. But I don't know. That's just one nerdy thing that I do oh, in dude, pursuit of a better vocal sound. You know, that's also a pro move for learning. Um, I'll tell you what. After having like 
filled in for a bunch of bands where I'm having to learn off the record like I'm talking about. You mm. know, most a lot of records that are metal or hardcore are just hard panned guitars. So let's say there's like some fucking guitar harmony part where like you guys are both playing different shit and you're trying to figure out exactly what the harmony is and you don't know if it's a third or a fifth or fourth or whatever. Um, you know, what I'll find myself doing is just, you know, either, like you said, pulling out a headphone or turning off one of my monitors. And from there, I get a full view of like almost just like a mono sound of of what's happening on that side. And it's a great way to like pull out certain guitar parts. Um, and that's cool. I never thought about it in, 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 the, in the context of like exploring the vocal reverbs and things like that. But that makes sense because, yeah. you know, a lot of, um, you know, in order to hear the center, you need to have both sides. And a lot of the reverbs are shooting out sideways, you know, if that makes mm -hmm. sense, you know, and then really like the vocal is very present in mono. But like, you know, some dudes even mix in what's called mid side, which is like, you know, they're actually doing affecting only the sides of the mix. And a lot of mm -hmm. pros do that, and I'm sure whoever's doing Hatebreed is doing a great job. I wonder if they still go to Zeus. I haven't looked, but Zeus rules. I don't know. Um, I think that they work with, uh, well, don't quote me on this, but I know Jamie works a lot with uh, Charlie Belmore. And, awesome. Um, yeah, like their production team seems to, because they, they, they're doing like, they did the D. Snyder record, and then they did that Corpse Grinder record. Um, oh, yeah. They seem to have a production team. I don't know if... Hatebreed does that same production team or not? They probably have contracts through their label and shit that they work with other people. I I really don't know. Dude, um, I still think fucking Rise of Brutality from 19 years ago is like some of the nastiest hate and some of the nastiest like heavy production, dude. That record just sounds so full and thick to me. It's a great um, album. Yeah, I, I love that one. Obviously, Perseverance sounds super. It, it's Perseverance sounds a little more like it's like the guitars are a little bit brighter. They sound a little more martially, which to me, Hatebreed is a very mm -hmm. martially band. Uh, but I mean, uh, dude, something about Rise of Brutality, just the tones in general, and that record's just mega pissed. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's yeah, a good. It's, a, good it's a nice progression that that they have throughout their career. They don't overdo things in an era like. They had their satisfaction as the death of desire. They didn't beat that dead horse. Um, Perseverance, they didn't beat that. I mean, they, you know, came out with uh, the the higher quality, a uh, lot more aggression, a bit more structure. Then you have Rise of Brutality, where I think you probably get into, like, the more serious, like, pre-mall metal hate breed. Yes. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? And then I think Supremacy came after that, which is one of my favorite albums. Mm -hmm. That was, like, 2005, um, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, man, I can't remember. Is it Concrete Confessional? Yep, I believe that is it. Um, yeah. I think. Um, yeah, I haven't listened to that one in a while. Well, There's this is funny. This is funny. I had um, I had some rapid fire questions to ask you in the end, and one of them was uh, favorite hate breed album. So, <laughs> <laughs> satisfaction. That I, really? Oh yeah, dude. I mean, that was the one. That one started. Like I said, that was yeah. the one that was like. That gave me that like oh my god like it just oh, like like there was like there was all these doors and then <coughs> all right now in, in fairness in fairness take satisfaction off the table favorite hate breed album oh dude perseverance yeah well fuck rise of brutality sorry rise of brutality okay. I just talked all that shit I love perseverance um I mean I just both those records too was like my heyday of going to shows and I saw them. A million times on those album cycles they were just like on fire four yeah. piece the sean martin just absolutely an amazing era for that band and um yeah rise of brutality dude 
fucking A, dude. It sounds so heavy. <laughs> Will you be at uh, This Is Hardcore this year? Uh, when is it? July 9th, Philadelphia. N- no, I will not be. Okay. I'll be I'll be on tour. Um, yeah, this, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. no uh, shit. Um, what are we talking yeah. about? Yeah, I'll, um, be, I'll be. Uh, I'll be somewhere. I think we'll be. I think we get home July seventeenth, and then I have okay. uh, like four days off from that tour, and then I go do I think two shows to bury your dad. Um, oh, cool. I wish I knew the details. I should. We're playing a festival in New Jersey um, in the middle of July. I don't. I think want to say twenty something So I guess middle end. So if you want to see bury your dad, definitely. Uh, do that in New Jersey, and then I think we're gonna try to do a, like a Massachusetts show or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. I was just reaching out to the agent, trying to get. Uh, honestly, I was trying to get Broken Wings on it. I hope that that all works out. I'd love. I just love playing shows with those guys, and we're all just like yeah. a bunch of like you know mosh geezers, and we just have a great time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, yeah, well, hopefully like that to, ends up happening. I like to lose hardcore points on this show from things that I say, and. Uh, I've never seen Bury Your Dead, so I'm going to lose hardcore points. Oh, for that's cool. That. I mean, um, but I can't believe it because probably the one of, I would say, top five albums of all time for me, um, Cover Your Tracks is in there. Oh, true. I mean, that's just you like, know? when it comes to heavy records, man, it's like, that one has a sound. You want, to talk about, you want to talk about unique sounding bands, too. It's like, even though they were mm-hmm. a pit band, like, like first of all, I. I still kind of hate the production on that record, but I will say this. It's yeah, very it's, unique yeah, yeah. production. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think anybody in the band likes the production on that record either, but it it is it does have a sound and it has a unique kind of thing going. And I and, and the songs are so good that the production doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> well, but the problem is it's like you compare it to that point. next... Oh, sorry. I'll say, uh, yeah. No, no. I was just saying that's an interesting point. But yeah, yeah, you write good enough songs. like You can record on a fucking 90s answering machine and it's cool, you know? But... Uh, I think the only reason that I feel that way, though, and the, when you compare it to the next record, Beauty and the Breakdown, that Jason Sukoff did, um, it, mm-hmm. that record just absolutely slams. It's I still think that production holds up. I, when I'm practicing through those songs. I just play right along to the record, and I'm like, "Yeah, dude, I almost kind of wish albums sounded a little more like that because it was like the it was like the la- it was right before everything got mega scrubbed clean and sterilely sanitized." Like it, like it used to be like we recorded these records in like a like now they sound like they're recorded in hospital rooms. Back then it would be like a goat pen, you know what I mean? Like yeah, it was like like yeah. there was like a little bit of nastiness built in. Like and no matter what, like if you're not scrubbing drums clean and like editing them to absolute perfection, um, man, I think that like the last of that was like the mid. 2000s you know what i mean 2006 7 mm-hmm. after that kind of joey sturgis came on the scene and kind of flipped everybody on their heads in the i mean obviously i'm uh, for people who are actually into hardcore they're gonna be like what the fuck are you talking about like that's metalcore bullshit but um yeah. but there was sort of like these tropes that big heavy bands started following which is like mm-hmm. you just sanitize the fuck out of everything and like so yeah. that's one of my issues with like big like you know I toured a lot of these like mainstream kind of metalcore bands been in a lot of them and uh, I just kind of sometimes long for the dirtiness, you know, like I want a little bit of like filth in there. And there's like a reason why, you know, when you put on like a Converge record, like it fucking just, it just feels good. Cause it's like, oh, this feels like a little more human, feels a little more. I think, that, I think that's that distinction that I was talking about earlier when I said like Kublai Khan, mm-hmm. um, kind of getting shade from the hardcore scene, maybe not now, but years ago. Um, when they were maybe otherwise labeled like mall metal or something like that. And it was like, no, 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 no. Production quality aside and, you know, as 
clean production aside, these guys, you know, can stand up against the heaviest of hardcore bands. Um, and it, it's funny. I, I sometimes I think there's a lot of bands out there that maybe if there was a little more dirt in their recordings, um, they would have got more love from the underground. Yeah, maybe so, um, dude. And it's it's true know. that like, and I think there's also like, and part of like that, you know, that like I, I'll keep calling it like the scrub clean kind of sanitized sound is like a lot of that too is like a click track and writing to a click track, you know, and then yeah. going back to like, you know, uh, earlier in conversation, like the thing about when you get musicians together in a room and you get that push and pull of tempo, you know, like a good drummer, even the tightest drummer is like not going to fucking start a song at 120 BPM and end the song at a, exactly 120 BPM. Like maybe it'll happen, but chances are like, you're going to be at 120 for a while. You might go up to 122. You might fucking do a nasty, dirty slam at a hundred. You might mm -hmm. rip right back up. Like it's funny. I remember, um, my buddy, Justin, uh, who passed away, he was the guitar player after the burial. Uh, he mixed the recon record. And he came from like gent world, you know, where everything okay. was like, like super clean, sugar tight metronome, mm. like just absolutely. But that was like, you know, they're a techie sounding band. Literally, it's in the in the name. Um, and he was like, dude, you know, you have like a six song record with like eighty seven tempo changes. <laughs> like, he's like, dude, usually our records have like nine songs and like twelve tempos. And I'm like, yeah, but it's like I wrote the song thinking about like a live environment and. Um, yeah, you know, one thing I've been learning, one thing I've been figuring out recently, like, uh, as I've been writing, I've been back into writing heavy stuff this year is, uh, dude, if you want to make it sound like your riff wasn't written in a chair, like get out of a chair, like stand up, yeah. pick up your guitar, like crank your amp, stand in front of it. Like even if you don't have your drummer or, or something around, like just start feeling it and you will start writing heavier riffs probably like, cause I've been finding that like, I might just be like sitting there, like I might. I don't know, smoke a joint or something and sit down and like, and then I'm going to start writing some slow down fucking stoner shit. You know what I mean? And then, yeah. you know, I might be all fired up on coffee standing up and then that's when I'm writing like the fast, hard hitting stuff. And ultimately, you know, when it comes to playing live, it's all about the variation to me. Like I, I think in order to perceive slow, you got to go fast. And, um, you know, one thing that recon did learn on the Viper city record with going a little bit too slow is like you lose a little bit of energy. Um, because I, I think a good song, a good heavy band song will will go fast, it'll go mid, and it'll go slow, and it'll do it all cohesively <laughs> in a way that fucking sounds tight. So if you could redo 13, would you say you would probably play it a little bit faster but keep the down tune? That would I be would, a sweet spot? Um, what I would say about Viper City is I... Or sorry, uh, 13 would be that we released the demo version, which is, I don't know if I have it on Spotify. Um, I'll have to check. I know John Torn put it out on a Mitsuba Graves reissue, but we had a demo session from Viper City where we tracked four songs, but Chris only tracked two of them. One of them being the song Viper City, the other being 13. But that mm -hmm. version of 13 absolutely just is the best. I mean, it, okay. it, I wouldn't have done it better. Like everything we did production wise, I wish the album sounded like those demos. Yeah. Um, and what it was, was we decided to do the fucking cool guy thing and be like, oh, well, everyone's doing click tracks. And so Paul and I sat there and we like clicked out what we thought was the record. And mm -hmm. our producer, Brett, just like, you know, he took our word for it. He was like, well, uh, well, that's a tempo. It's okay, cool. You guys are slow as fuck. All right, well, let's go. <laughs> and, uh, 
And you know, at the end of it, Paul and I are like, dude, we don't really play this like this live, do we? But I mean, it's cool. It's it's fucking super heavy. And um, you know, I guess time has shown us, like I said, we're looking at it from 2022 perspective that we weren't even going that slow. But um, yeah. yeah, but 13, um, I felt like the Graves version was too fast. I felt like the Viper City version was too slow, and that there's that demo version that exists out there. I'm just happy that it exists because I think that one fucking slaps. So. Yeah. Um, if you want it, I'll send it to you and you can tell me what you think, but um, yeah, dude, please. That's the, that's the tight one as far all as right, I'm concerned. Right. And again, that was that all same right. rig I was talking about 5150 Mesa cab, tube screamer, noise suppressor, DBX through the gate, through the loop as a gate. And then SM 57 and MD 421 on the cone and, and real pinch harmonics, not dubbed in. Oh yeah. You gotta, you gotta hit them. If you, if you don't hit them, you, you gotta, gotta start over. Yeah. You just go try again. <laughs> yeah um i love yeah, it dude. well yeah. because like some of those were so crazy i had to ask john i was like are they dubbed in like that some of these fucking pinch harmonics are insane on that album do you know what i'm and, honestly stoked for i love pinches and uh because they're just fucking fun and acacia has tons and so i'm actually yeah, like oh yeah dl's all over big nasty ones on his yeah. songs and same thing especially Devin, in like dude. the dead walk tracks and shit oh yeah all those ones yeah. just filthy and a bunch of the Devin songs have like cool like like uh I don't know. I think I really zoom into pinch harmonics. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And like, like, you know, a good one to me has like a dip and a wobble. It's like a, ooh, and then you, you know, you grab it, you pull it and then you wobble it. Yeah. It, yeah. it needs to have a good pull and then a nice wobble. <laughs> I wish my friend Bill was here dude, because like, he's like, he's like the master of the pinch harmonics and he always, um, he'll always cite that one from, uh, Oh shit. It's off the dead walk. It was off of the hit. Um, what was it called? Uh, we'll begin. We'll shut it. Da 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 yeah, man. It's I'm exploring the, uh, more frets uh, as I get older. The tritone, <laughs> the Black Sabbath fret. Yes, dude. Um, I uh, yeah, I'm getting a little more noty as I get older, and it's funny to like you know, also playing in a shitload of bands, you kind of get a glimpse into everybody's mind. Like, mm -hmm. like I kind of like I can kind of like now I'm starting to see like, oh, this is how DL were. Where's the guitar vernacular was yeah. in those years, or or when I'm playing Barry Dead songs that Slim wrote, and Slim's a great writer. Um, he wrote like yes. all that cover your track. He wrote all, I mean, Slim's awesome. Um, mm -hmm. he, uh, he has a certain, like, like a few moves in his bag that like, he'll pull out like almost every song, um, or every other song. And they're just really cool little tricks. And, you know, I feel fortunate to have like gleaned all this, uh, info, uh, off these bands. Cause now I can, um, steal it. Bro, but like <laughs> you're, you're right there with them. In my eyes, you're right there with them, dude. Like, Recon, Acacia Strain, Bury Your Dead, Immure. These were the movement forming bands of what you guys did. I mean, there weren't other ones. And I mean, there were other ones, but it evolved after those bands came out. And, you know, you couldn't be that you you couldn't be in drop A or drop G sharp you know, with your with your pointer finger on uh, the bottom string on one playing breakdowns um, without being compared to one of those bands. Oh, of course. Um, yeah. Maybe not so much Bury Your Dead, but 
Um, definitely Acacia Strain and Mirror and Recon. That was that sound. Um, and it's even to this day, dude, even to this day, when we are listening to Deathcore or whatever, like I'm with, you know, my friend checking some new shit out or whatever, we still call them Recon Breakdowns. Yeah, all right. Acacia all right. Strain Breakdowns. So, right, that rules. All right. So we made you know. it. All right. So that's making it. Um, <laughs> that fucking rules. Um, all right. I got some rapid fire questions I want to hit you with here, and then we're going to wrap it up. LFG. All right. So um, first of all, we hit the hate breed question. Uh, favorite new metal band? Oh, mm. Corn. Corn, okay. Favorite new metal album? Mm. Mm. Life is Peachy by Corn. Really? Okay. The filthiest okay. one. No, maybe self titled. It's a toss up. I can flip a really? coin. Yeah, dude. Okay. There are, dude, uh, Life is Peachy. It was an era thing for me. It was like I was a, a, a little twisted new metal kid in West Texas. And yeah. uh, that record was just so fucking filthy. Follow the Leader is a way better record, but I like Life is Peachy more. I don't know how to explain yeah. it. The vibe is good. They're on the right amount of brown meth and uh, and seven mm. strings. And it's just like, <laughs> I don't know, it's a good combo, whatever they had going on there. I, I grew up watching like Who Then Now, their home videos. And uh, mm-hmm. I fucking think Corn Rules. I know like the usually go to for a lot of people is going to be Slipknot. I think Slipknot Rules too. Um, I love uh, the self-titled and Iowa, and I like that subliminal versus record. Some yeah. songs. Um, I just they, saw them the other night. Was it a good show? Oh, yeah. I mean, those, I mean, it's fucking Slipknot, dude. I mean, they're like, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. They're the craziest live band. Still to this day, they're smashing it too. Even as like kind of geez, geezers, like uh, like old, even more geezed out than than us. Uh, they're fucking mm-hmm. killing it, dude. Oh. Um, so uh, I mean, that band rules. Mike Smith from Omega is actually teching for Mick and. Uh, so he's done cool shit. Like I went out to fucking play shows in California with Barrier Dead a while back, and uh, we were like, "Yo, uh, we want to get some Omega stuff out here. Do you have anything on the West Coast?" He's like, uh, "Well, Mick has his his Obsidian heads there. They're like prototypes. Uh, let me ask him if you can use them." And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> and yes. sure enough, it's like Please. the Mick amps show up to Chain Reaction, and I'm like, "Oh fuck! All right, cool." Yeah. So uh, I think the last time I played Chain Reaction, I was using uh, Mick from Slipknot's amps, which is cool. I don't know Mick or anything. I don't know anybody from Slipknot uh, or that whole crew, but we were lucky enough. I will say this about Corn: uh, I was lucky enough to tour with them, and um, a couple of the guys were really like, like really fucking cool. Like Head, the guitar player, mirror. yeah, yeah. He- Head, the guitar player, would like show up and uh, he'd watch us play side stage, and it would just trip me out just to think like I had a poster of this dude on my wall playing I- playing Ibanez guitars, and then here he. <laughs> Here's me playing my like Ibanez custom in this dude's headbanging two feet from me, who like I grew up fucking worshiping. So, yeah. um, so there's also like a respect thing with Corn. I respect Corn. Um, I, I, uh, I think that they run a really smooth, cool ship too. Like touring with them, it's just awesome. All their like crew guys are super nice. I really only talked to um, uh, Head and Fieldy, but both fucking super gracious, nice dudes that's um, good yeah yeah i was uh i was just telling my cousin um about the podcast the other night and the shows that i had coming up and stuff and we got to talking about this and corn actually came up um because of uh the to- the the topic and he was telling me that he was in atlantic city years ago probably you know 15 years ago or so he was in atlantic city with his friends and um sat down at a baccarat table and Jonathan Davis was sitting next to him. 
Holy he shit. Said, he said he was the only one at the table who knew who he was. And he asked him if he was Jonathan Davis. And I guess he was like, yeah, but please don't tell anybody. Please don't bring it up. Yeah. Him. Yeah. <laughs> let me just let me be. Yeah. When I saw John Davis on that tour, he like had his two kids and like they just he just brought his kids on tour. It was a summer tour. And yeah. uh, he was just being a dad and driving around in yeah, a golf cart. Awesome. I just see him on a golf cart. He'd wave, you know, but like, you yeah. know, we're hung up. But he's like, I just want to chill, man. Like, yeah. Uh, dude, yeah. Same thing like, like Rob Zombie tour with him and like, you know, you just don't see that guy. Like Rob Zombie's the yeah. most elusive. It was like, you see him on stage and nowhere else, but I think he's mm-hmm. just flying around everywhere. But also one of those guys, when you do see him, he's waving at you from a golf cart. He's a very nice guy, apparently. Well, like, so I think that sometimes guys like that can maybe get a bad rap because they're not you know, whatever, like right out there. But like when you're somebody like John Jonathan Davis or especially like Rob Zombie or whatever, like you can't can you go to can you go Dude, into a sheets to, to be go, out there? Like, oh no. you can't oh here's the thing. You can totally go into a sheets or a truck stop or a Walmart as one of those guys and like maybe a couple people recognize you and it won't be too weird. You maybe have to sign something or take a photo. Yeah. But really the thing is like when you're at a festival that one of those guys oh, is playing, you know, it's absolutely yeah. insanity. Like you're just gonna get overwhelmed and people yeah. can't even keep their shit together around you. Like even dudes in bands can't keep their shit together around certain levels of dudes out there. Like you like, you know, you'll end up fanboying and punishing people because you're Dude, like I'll you're just excited the, to fucking tour, you know, like uh tour the shit out of Rob Zombie. Dude, yeah, I didn't get a chance to see him. It was funny, like, a tour like Angie WK. He was another elusive one. Uh, Angie WK, you just don't see him. But you see his whole yeah. band, because his band was, like, everybody from, like, obituary. And Oh, his- okay. <laughs> I've heard that he has some some strange band, like, some members you w- might not expect. I think it was, I think, obituary's from Florida, right? I don't know. That's yeah, fuck. I don't remember. I think it was obituary. I want to say it was all the dudes from obituary. Mm. Uh, but uh, they were just fucking cool. It was just super awesome. His wife was cool, and... Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other like uh, weird giant people. Uh, I guess not. I mean, Corn's pretty big. Rob Zombie, but I mean that dude. Like, I mean, he's off making movies during the day and then flying back to do the shows. And that guy goes and does like a tour, like a Mayhem tour we did back in the day with him. And he spends so much money on production on putting an insane spectacle. And I think it's because that dude doesn't go on tour to like make money like we do. Like he goes on tour to like put a stake in the ground and go like I'm fucking Rob Zombie. Yeah, I'm the shit. My shows are really fun, and uh, you know I make movies, and he just—it's just him putting a big Rob Zombie flag in the ground, and so he has like, yeah, you know, crazy pyro show, CO2 show, balloons that fall from the ceiling, sparks that shoot from the ceiling, sparks that fall, confetti cannons, like every possible trick's coming out. He brought like four semi trucks full of like crazy weird like vehicles that are. <laughs> like just weird junk he apparently builds in his yard in Connecticut that are look like big fucking just strange Rob Zombie things. And okay. uh yeah, so that was just crazy. I used to just like go get catering and just watch the dudes unload the trucks from the back of the loading dock. Yeah. Just like dude. pulling these crazy insane gear out. Like like half of one of the trucks is actual music gear. The rest is all just weird shit. And yeah. It's awesome. One of them That's being crazy. like a twelve foot dancing robot. It was so so cool. <laughs> That's amazing. So when they play I'm sure more, it was probably like 50s looking too, right? Yes, it was like when they play more human than human, uh the white zombie song. That thing is just like literally just just grooving around the whole stage just bobbing and just like just grooving. It's a That's good vibe. Awesome. It's very cool. That's and then they drop battle, dude. they drop balloons in the ceiling, the slow ones. Whatever gas they put in it makes them fall like really slow. <laughs> Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, it's like Maiden has Eddie, Rob Zombie has Rob Zombie. That's right. Like dude. He, you know, he is the he is the mascot. He is the 
He's a brilliant guy. He's, yeah. he's I, I just uh, recently, speaking of high production shows, I just saw Ghost recently. Oh, yeah. And uh, they're, I mean, you know, That's it's not show. everybody's cup of tea, but if you want to go see a really good show, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. They. Oh, yeah. I saw them, I think, in off. 18, maybe 2018, 17 or 18, mm -hmm. um, at the Palace Theater in Albany. Um, just like decided to go check it out with uh, my fiance. Uh, and, dude, I had so much fun. Like I said, I'm like, yeah. I'm totally fair weather like I, I you know i like a couple songs um but they're definitely a live spectacle band like that's what yeah. they are you know um, yeah for sure but i'm sorry i'm fucking up this rapid fire i feel like i'm fucking up your rapid fire thing. no it's just, okay uh, it's okay I, i'm a tangential I gotta, speaker i i do the same thing i okay, real bad um, add so sorry cool i think i have uh three more for you so three more tangents to go and then we're done um sheets or wawa awesome Wow, wow, baby! Oh God! Okay, here he is. No, yeah, I'm. Dude. I don't have a. I don't have a dog in the fight. I'm right, keeping well, a tally. All right. Well, <laughs> I know that John Torn said 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 sheets. If you ask that question, but hear me out, dude. I'm gonna tell you why I like Wawa. First of all, the iced tea is delicious. It's very good iced teas, and very also, tea. um, in the MTO system at Wawa, where you order your food, you can actually delegate the amount of every condiment that you desire. Did so you like, just use Sheets vernacular to describe a Wawa service? Oh, Wawa is not called MTO. I'm sorry. Wawa. <laughs> what is it called at Wawa? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I spent a lot of time in PA, Maryland. Um, but no, um, yeah, me and so Paul Dove. you can Dove, control the Wawa. condiment amount. Yes. Yeah, you control the condiment amount. They also, um, the bread is better. I like the bread. I'm a sub guy. I like sub sandwiches. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, Sheets is cool, too. I'm like not like, I'm not like uh uh, iPhone, Android, uh, Ford, Chevy, uh, Ibanez, Fender. Like, I don't give a fuck yeah. at all. It's like, you know, whatever works for you. Um, I My usually... logic is the same. Um, with the Wawa, I think the subs are better. If Sheets, if you want a burger with mozzarella sticks on it, Go to sheets. Yes, yeah. Um, but let's say we're you and I are driving down the road. There's a fucking somebody puts a gun to my head, and there's an intersection, and there's a Wawa on one side, and a sheets on the other. I'm pulling into Wawa. I would wonder who you're hanging out with. Uh, well, <laughs> some scary motherfuckers <laughs> that are going to take it that seriously. No. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm from Altoona, so we're the I know sheets I, is super sheets. Here. I know it's blasphemy. I should have just said it to pander. No, it's okay. I'm I, I don't take it that seriously. <laughs> there are people that do. I you know give them credit. Um, okay, so we did new metal sheets. Wawa. I got two more for you. Uh, guitar. Is it um, a stringed instrument or is it also a percussive instrument? It's a drum with strings. It's a percussive instrument. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I figured that you might say that. That's why I asked that. But it has expressive possibilities, which is cool. Like one thing I like about guitar, and I'm not the first person to say this for sure, but the fact that we can bend is really cool because like pianos can't really bend. Well, unless you have like the right, you know, knob. But in a traditional sense, like a lot of instruments don't give you the ability to like bend in between notes. Um, mm -hmm. So you don't just have the note; you have everything that exists within that bend. Um, so uh, yes, percussive with magic bends. <laughs> love it but yeah yeah that's a great answer that's a great answer okay and final question uh what is your favorite graham hancock book oh i mean i guess fingerprints of the gods because i have a uh signed copy and i went and i saw him in 2015 14 uh at a small thing in new york give a speech on well give a talk about his explorations that year and how his uh, work 
was correlating with this dude, Randall Carlson, who's like a weather scientist. And it was all about a theory they had about um, a meteor hitting uh, the Pacific Northwest about 10 or 11,000 years ago and uh, melting about a mile thick of ice and causing uh, what would be all the fabled, like, you know, um, stories of Noah and things like that. Um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not super Bibled out, but apparently a lot of the stories we had about like 40 days of night and this and that was basically most likely a big ass meteor hit the earth and disrupted a lot of things. And if you were to have a meteor hit a large sheet of ice, like a mile thick that encompasses a lot of land, it would cause rapid sea level rise, which would cause floods and all that stuff. And I mean, I don't know if it's true or not, but, um, it's a fun thing to entertain. And, uh, he also, showed a lot of stuff about like diving uh, in um, like the, the coast of Indonesia, which he pronounces Indonesia, which is weird, um, but um, Indonesia. But like there's like he had photos that he took of like these perfect like like columns of like clearly look like cut stone, but they're like way, way off the coast. And so he got further into like, well, you know, um, correlating with the weather research, when sea levels rose, we had the stories of places like Atlantis. This might have been a city that, you know, was buried, and here's the shit that we found there. So, um, yeah, he's my favorite rogue Egyptologist, and uh, just a super nice guy. I got to meet him. He signed my book. He talked to me for a second, and, uh, you know, I'm like, uh, I'm not like a a huge archaeology nerd or anthropologist or anything, but um, I just like cool ideas and exploring them. And, uh, yeah, I think I heard him fucking first on Joe Rogan like forever and ever ago. I haven't really kept up on that podcast lately, but um if he's been on, I would totally listen. I I uh I, I love Graham. So cool last question by the way. I didn't yeah, well, I did not expect that, that. No, it's cool. Um I I I'm gonna have to I mean if you ever are listening to this stuff or whatever and you need somebody to nerd out with, text it to me. All right, um, good. And you know, I'll have to have you back on and because I could I could seriously sit and talk ancient civilization shit. Oh dude, I have to brush up, dude. I have to reread and like I'd um but I, I was like uh like lately, um there's a podcast I listen to, Matt and Shane's secret podcast, the two dudes from PA actually. Oh, you like Shane Gillis. <laughs> oh yeah. Dude. And Matt McCusker, shout out to the shaman. Um Yes, dude. And uh and but dude, uh, I mean I've been like listening to that podcast for quite a while, but mm-hmm. they just did the Louis C. K. history podcast about the presidents. I don't know if you watch those. I haven't. No, not yet. No, no. Dude, it's just Shane and Louis. I won't spoil it at all. It's literally Shane and Louis C.K. starting from George Washington and going to like Obama in like six hours uh, in four different installments. And they're just talking about presidential history. And dude, I shit you not. Louis and Shane taught me more about like presidents than I learned in all of my high school and two years of college I did before dropping out to go on tour with the crisis. So, um, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm I'm a huge uh, Shane Gillis fan. I, awesome. I just yeah. I mean, I'm so happy that because I think that it was it was bullshit that he got kicked out of SNL. Like, I get it. It's you know, they don't want better anything. Off. Fuck. SNL. They don't want. Yeah, sucks. exactly. <laughs> I know. But they don't want. I can say that because I'll never I'll never be on SNL. So, but yeah. yeah, I know. Fuck. I know. I'm with you there. But and <laughs> no, it's I mean, not funny anymore. It's not. I'm, it's, I'm, you know, um, like. Well, maybe I mean, to, maybe it is for some people, but like. Uh, the Saturday Night Live, I mean, I don't know, probably dorks, but like, uh, <laughs> uh, and not the cool kind of dorks like us. Uh, no, but, uh, <laughs> no, 
we're we fucking... talk for an hour about a yeah, we, 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 I think we lost everybody by the time I was like, <laughs> yeah, 54 gauge, 30 gauge. Um, no, but I will say, um, I love it. But yeah, definitely. If that's an, if you're like looking for a podcast tomorrow, dude, them two talking presidents. I I think I'm gonna re-listen to it because I feel like you know I was like soldering guitar pickups and doing a couple of things that day, and I yeah missed a couple of things, so I gotta like go back in. But uh, no, Matt Shane oh, Secret man. Podcast rules. I'm so glad to see their success. Um, because I've been going back to like the old, like first hundred episodes, and uh, it's just mm-hmm. cool to see them now, like just absolutely crushing it, and uh, it's awesome seeing uh Matt McCusker like hopefully doing some more stand-up type stuff because i mean yeah. shane, shane's amazing but like matt's also like you know Very showed funny. up for, came for shane stayed for matt kind of thing you know yeah <laughs> like, yeah i agree i know i, I love- agree if it wasn't for shane i don't know if i would even know who he was right yeah um you but know, so i'm hoping to catch uh both of them this year um i love stand-up comedy i love catching gigs when i can i haven't been mm-hmm. able to uh see much lately I, the last one i saw was mark normand like seven or eight months ago uh, but Mark Normand has a really, uh, really nice uh, stand-up special. It's about, I think it's maybe an hour. It's free. It's on YouTube. Uh, highly recommended. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I listen to a lot of stand-up. Um, and uh, although it's hard to find like good, like a lot of podcasts and just a lot of comedians aren't fucking funny. So <laughs> that's I why I like Matt and Shane, dude. Like so many, yeah. so many podcasts that are quote-unquote comedy. I'm like, okay, dude, all you guys are talking about is comedy and like the art form and like the practice it's like it's you and like you and i talking about guitar shit it's boring <laughs> yeah well that's why I like, that's, <laughs> why I like, uh, that's why i like tripoli because you know he is uh, he's such a goofball um but he i don't know i mean he's he maintains comedy and also um talking about all kinds all kinds of weird shit I, I like that he's not afraid to like he he's not afraid to speak his mind and he's not afraid yeah. to like to say something completely outlandish in a world of like, you know, kind of a lot of comedians are pretty guarded because they're, you know, even though they're trying to be edgy and this and that, but a lot of them aren't as the, I mean, I if you're, if you listen to Matt and Shane, then you understand like what, a what freedom of speech is <laughs> dude versus Shane's, some of these podcasts. Shane's standup special, um, on, uh, YouTube, there was a few moments in there where I was like, Whoa, is this going to get pulled down? But like they just, he just, his numbers are so great, you know. I mean, I think that's what people want to hear. Yeah, dude. He, um, I mean, I watched that live in Austin one as soon as it came out, and man, I cry laughed. I haven't cry laughed in a while. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? When you're just like, you just can't breathe. Uh, oh yeah, dude. So, um, and and I and I love that because I, I give a lot of stand up specials chances, and I don't. Maybe it's just my sense of humor. Like I grew up like in a van with a bunch of like absolute fucking assholes for the most part and so mm. you know there's a lot of um ball busting and and just like i don't know it's a little bit rougher than than uh, uh a lot of regular people communicate that's why i like man change just kind of reminds me of being in the van <laughs> yeah and just yep. like the things I that can, would come I up in our conversations man. when you're sort of unguarded and, and stuff like that but i can um, relate for sure, dude. Um, but I won't keep you all night. I, I know you. No, it's uh, okay. Yeah. No, I just want. I, I want your plugs. Um, you know, where can people find you? Uh, we know. You know, Acacia Strain going on tour uh, June twenty fourth, and you know that is ultimately what we're here to promote. You guys are going to be um, out for I think three weeks, right? Yeah, it's three week tour. Um, I believe it starts June twenty fourth in um, Connecticut. Uh, it concludes um, in New Hampshire on July 17th, 
And I know literally no other details. Every tour I pretty much ever done since I was about, so I started touring a long, long time ago. I usually just memorize the first and the last date, and that's it. Uh, Hell yeah. <laughs> but I, know, I now know that five days in, we'll be in PA, which is cool. And yeah, I'll, I'll see you in Pittsburgh, man. I'll yeah, be there. Dude. That's awesome. Yeah, um, we're going to have a good time. Yes, um, we'll definitely hang. And uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, so after that, I've got a couple shows at Barry Dead. Like I said, keep an eye out for that if you're a Barry Dead fan. Uh, no recon stuff coming up this summer. Uh, we, I mean, I've just been some stuff, some offers came in, but I just have been so inundated with like learning case stream stuff and, and getting all that together that I had to decline a recon offer. But hopefully, we do something relatively soon. Um, if you want to find me on social media, pretty much everywhere is at Mike WTF. Um, I haven't been mega active over the last couple of years because I haven't been touring and it's been the pandemic and I don't really like posting photos of my family and shit like that on the internet. So um, I mostly just use it as a means of promoting my bands and things like that. But I will be doing a bunch of shit this summer because I'll be on the road. So um, if you want to see my stories of me eating snacks with the boys and doing sound checks and things like that, um, be sure to do so um, or don't, whatever. Uh, social media, I think we're all a little bit tired at this point. Uh but uh, otherwise, um, I, think, I think we have some, some fall loose plans that I can't announce with the Casey Strain, but um, we will be at Furnace Fest um, in Alabama. I think it's in September. I'm not exactly sure. I think last year was in September. Um, so if you're in that area, it's at the Sloss Furnaces. It's that fest they do every year. It's pretty sick. Um, and then we're also doing, um, dude, this weird, uh, not weird fest. It's actually just a giant fest, a Blue Ridge Mountain Fest. But the reason I said weird right the bat is that like, I looked at the lineup and it's just like every band. It's just weird. Mostly like seen this. Big, bigger bands. Yeah. They're like, like a lot of cock rock bands, like a lot of like, you know, quote unquote active rock, like radio bands. And then like a yeah, good, good amount. Yeah. Big cock rock bands. <laughs> no, but there's like, you know, a lot of that kind of like, you know, five finger death punchy type stuff. Um, but again, they also are like they're they're bringing in a bunch of good like heavy bands as well. So we're doing that, and uh, I'm not exactly sure when that is. Um, and then we'll be doing a run of shows, I think, between those fests. So keep an eye out for more Casey Strain shows, probably in different places than this next tour, I would imagine. Which I would you know describe as mostly the Northeast. Um, I think we go as far south as like maybe mm, Missouri or something like that, and then we're gonna go you know, back up and then finish back up in the East coast. So, um, unfortunately no Midwest, no Texas, no West coast, no PNW, but we'll be hitting those spots probably early next year, I think, or maybe later this year, depending on what comes down the pipe. Hell yeah, my man. All right. Mike Mulholland. Thanks a lot for coming on the show, dude. I really appreciate it. Matt, I appreciate this. I had no idea that this is going to be so cool. 